2: Hello, everybody. It's just after eight o'clock in the UK, just after three, where I am standing in the eastern time zone of the United States of America at one Porsche drive. The folks around here call it all PD. This is the headquarters of uh, Porsche North America. And where I am at the moment, I'm looking out onto the Porsche Experience circuit uh, just underneath me, set the cars ready to go out for the session this afternoon uh, with... uh, Carrera 4S Targa, there's a GTS 718 Boxster there, down there as well and a Panamera, uh, Panamera Turbo S down there with the carbon brakes on, I can see the bright yellow calipers on that car. Uh, we're here today to start off our week of programming leading up to the final round of the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, that being the Motul Mans at Road Atlanta at the weekend. Full coverage of course starting uh, on Thursday no blocks, no breaks a lot of sound and vision for you as well uh, in that particular race so in addition to all of our usual features tonight we've got some very special bits and bobs for you which I think you are going to like Um, we've got no uh, no Tim Gray this evening so up in London is Kerry Cobb Uh, Kez once again uh, making sure that we get to the world and thank you very much for that, what we're going to try and do in the space of the next couple of hours is speak to all of the Porsche drivers here uh, we've got Shay Adam who's sitting, actually I've got to find out where she's gone now, she went into one of the meeting rooms, uh, Shea's going to give us the rundown on the Motul uh, Petit Le Mans for 2019 and we've got a little quiet place set up uh, further down the corridor if I can only find which way she went and maybe pop into there and say hello oh well, maybe that door down there. Um, I can't look at the uh, Twitteridge at the moment because I'm literally wandering around using uh, the Wi-Fi here to broadcast so hopefully that'll go uh, all right but I'm pretty certain that it will. I've come all the way down here to see if I can see where she has got to. Uh, and we've got some news as well of course. Uh, And with any look, we're going to bring you a little bit of history uh, as well. Uh, But for the moment, at least, where's Shea gone? This could be a very short programme if uh, I can't find where Shea has disappeared to. And ah, I'm being waved at now, so she must have gone down this corridor uh, over here. And uh, let's get into here and uh, keep the tweets coming because what we want to do is... Uh, we do want to have a look at them through the, the, the programme and try and get them, if we can, sit me head in here. And I tell you what, Kerry, you play the news jingle and I'll step in behind uh, this door here. And uh, by the time the news jingle's done, I'll have got the papers out for the news and Shea Adam will be joining us. All the latest motorsport news from around
0: the world. Midweek Motorsport.
2: So, papers have been shuffled, and our top story involves Formula One. No Nick Damon, as we've uh, mentioned tonight, he's on uh, assignment elsewhere. So, Shea Adam is uh, going to step in as our news correspondent. Uh, plenty of sports car news to come, of course, with the Motul Patilamon uh, preview as well in this midweek motorsport. Uh, so, Formula One news it is, and uh, before we start talking about Suzuka. Uh, and what's going on there, Sheer? Once again, the Miami Formula One Grand Prix refuses to die in another new circuit layout, not, this time, downtown.
3: Nowhere near downtown. Uh, not even a helicopter ride from downtown, <laughs> really. It's at the stadium, so the Hard Rock Stadium, to zero surprise because of Stephen Ross's involvement. He's the guy who owns the Miami Dolphins, therefore owns the Hard Rock Stadium, and he wants to bring F1 to Miami As long as it's on his property. So this proposed new track layout, very odd, a lot of stops and goes and just really not a flowing circuit that's been proposed to be built in the parking lot. How in the world is that going to be a grade one circuit, John? Well,
2: I suppose it's easier if you don't have to deal with anything that's there. You've got a blank piece of paper. The track as laid out, if I can find where I... Put it here. It's got, it's got some very long fast bits, but the problem is what I can't see from the layout there is how there's no scale on that, and I haven't seen it laid across the stadium facility itself. But, there, I mean, it has a big car park, doesn't it?
3: It does, but it's not smooth. It would need a total repave for the car park because it's right now a lot of blocks of different concrete laid down in effect there's a lot of grassy areas in between and keep in mind this area for the hard rock uh, i wanted to say casino there because there is a casino mm-hmm. as well the hard rock stadium is also used for the miami open the tennis event that takes place in march ah. so how in the world are they going to take these grass clay and normal tennis courts make them into an f1 track for potentially a month later and then translate it back into being stadium parking for this the fall series that just seems like a lot of unnecessary work for the city of miami on top of everything else
2: uh, let's uh, look ahead so we'll keep an eye on that no we won't
3: no Rolexes no one's betting
2: no one's betting okay it's not happening well we know it's not happening next year anyway because the calendar's already out there's already 22 races on that so it would be 2021 at the absolute earliest and that's what the organization is saying that's what they're aiming for but even at that level are you saying that's too far away
3: no it's not happening I, I don't think there will be a Formula One race in Miami in my lifetime I'm willing to say that.
2: Okay, fine. Uh, let's move on to this weekend. Uh, they are in Japan at Suzuka with the potential of a typhoon blowing in.
3: Oh, well, that'll make things fun. Uh, think about the best race we've seen in Formula One this year. That was Germany, just add water. So that could be a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, but adding water and having a typhoon is something uh, very different. Uh, home <laughs> race for Honda, of course. They own the track. They tried a few things out in the Russian Federation last time around and lost a couple of the uh, Suzuka-spec engines, so perhaps they're not quite as confident as they were. Red Bull, I think, were hopeful that they could pull off a a, a result there. Um, Mercedes-Benz looking very strong
4: again.
3: Well, that's going to be the question. They were gifted the race win in Russia. Can they carry on the momentum that was handed to them in that race win? Or is Ferrari going to be even hungrier for a fight back? And then there's the big Honda question as you hit it. Red Bull, this is the home race in terms of them trying to get that sort of, hey, we're here too. We deserve to be in the same sentence as Mercedes and Ferrari. This is the place that they need to get it done. It was a big deal when Verstappen got the first Honda win for quite some time, but to get it in Japan would be just a totally different level.
2: And it, it is very, very important for them. Uh, indeed, uh, we've had the 2020 tyre test in Barcelona, which required a uh, change in sporting regulations. Uh, Vettel, Albon uh, completed uh, well over 100 laps apiece uh, on, in the early part of... The week uh, Ocon was there as well, so four hundred and four laps completed over the couple of days. Um, I was on a, going on about tires um, with Nick a couple of weeks ago. I hope that they' decide to make the compounds further apart because at the moment there seems to be not enough difference between the different compounds
3: yeah and that's something that we've seen play out for many years that we've been hoping that there would be more of a drop-off between them or or something more substantial interesting to note though that Esteban Ocon was running in the Mercedes Mm. in the tire test even though we know he's going to be a Renault driver for next year so they're still letting him test and find out more information potentially about how the car will handle on next year's tires that could be valuable information for him.
2: Good point. Uh, possibly more significantly for the future, although I mean, I know that's important. Um, they, as part, And it was all planned, so there's the, we're not saying this is anything uh, super exciting. They tested the 18-inch Formula 2 tyres mm-hmm. as well. Now that's a, that, that is going to make a big difference to those cars and eventually when they come into to Formula 1 as well because the sidewall of the tyres, is so much of the uh, suspension uh, of, a, of a Formula car right now.
3: Yeah, and and that can only help the drivers right now in Formula 2 to make the jump into Formula 1. We've seen a lot of drivers do it successfully in recent years, but that's just another level to help that growth period shrink even more for them.
2: And while we're on uh, Formula news, we should mention very successful testing IndyCar with the Aero screen, which, you know what, people say it doesn't look very, I don't, it doesn't look nearly as intrusive to me as, say, the Halo, does, uh, it seems to have been a really good test.
3: Yeah, well, there's actually been a couple of tests, John, because they were testing at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. That was Will Power for Chevrolet and uh, Scott Dixon for Honda. They were both very happy with the results. And then at the beginning of this week, Ryan hunter Ray for Honda and uh, Simon Paginot for Chevy at Barber Motorsport Park where it rained. Mm. And a lot of IndyCar drivers were asking about the visibility. Pagino said it was actually better than just a helmet in the rain. The windscreen pushed more water away.
2: What, without it just coming over the top and getting him getting exactly. him wet?
3: Exactly. <laughs> he had to keep going really fast. But yeah, when it's a, an interesting uh, discovery for them, at least because they weren't expecting to run in the rain. It was an added bonus.
2: It's an interesting counterpoint. The arguments are an interesting counterpoint or an in- interesting dichotomy, I always think between people who will say oh that's not what i signed up for why don't you just make them close top like a sports car well because then it's not a formula car i understand both sides of that argument but ultimately the issue is it isn't acceptable to keep causing injury and worse to drivers in in this day and age and therefore something has to be done and i actually think This is by no means the final iteration of it, but I think it's quite elegant.
3: You listen to the people who say that they really like it, and you've got champions. You've got Indy 500 winners. You've got people who are not only respected outside of the community, but amongst their Mm. peers who are saying, you know what, it may not be the best-looking car that we've dreamed about for our lifetimes, but it's safer and that makes it better in my eyes. And that, when Scott Tixon's saying that, when Hunter mm. Ray is saying that, when Pagano power, you look down the list of the people who are behind this change, who are we to argue? We're not the ones sticking our necks out there for they're the ones doing it. Mm. So if they say it makes the car look better because it's safer, I'm all for it.
2: And the biggest thing was whether it was going to distort vision and change things in terms of depth perception and things like that. And that, I think... That is now a non-story, isn't it?
3: The last uh, nail in that coffin, so to Mm. speak, will be when Sebastian Bourdais gets to test the car later this month because he is the only driver who currently wears prescription glasses. He's the only one left that they're, quote-unquote, concerned about with the visibility. Everybody else has given their approval.
2: Uh, You're listening to Midweek Motorsports. It's the build-up to Motul to Patilamon, of course, this weekend. So there's going to be plenty of sports cars in this. We've got a full... Preview with Shea in parts as we uh, sort of drop in and out of our special coverage here from Porsche headquarters at One Porsche Drive Atlanta this Wednesday afternoon uh, as it is uh, here uh, in Atlanta. Before we get on to the main race, there's there's plenty of other stuff going on uh, this weekend uh, at Motul Patilamon at the new Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta, the newly named. And uh, let's talk about some of those other series then. Uh, The big race on Friday is the Michelin Pilot Challenge for the Fox Factory 120. Uh, And a couple of, well, certainly one interesting addition uh, to to the entry list. And it's somebody that I know quite well.
3: Well, it is. Uh, it's Andy Prio, isn't he back? Uh, it's
2: his boy. Yeah? It's Sebastian Prio. It's the youth. <laughs> uh, the next generation and just just making me feel even older. Uh, he's driven with Multimatic before in the British GT, so no surprise that that's the car that he's got into.
3: And he's already been to a race this year. He was at the WEC round at Sebring, the 1,000 mile that was on the Friday. He watched the Michelin Pilot Challenge race. I talked to both he and his dad on the grid before the... Uh, WEC race began but Seb was chomping at the bit to get an opportunity to drive in the Michelin Pilot Challenge and now he's got that sharing in the number 22 Multimatic Mustang alongside Austin Sindrick, a guy who we know very well and Mm. has been doing great things over in NASCAR have to say he's still in the running for the Xfinity Championship can you believe it so he's uh, one of the Penske drivers still going for a win over there but yeah we got them back We've got a plethora of cars in the GS category. I mean, that's really going to be the race to watch. But then we've got two new TCR cars as well. So that's going to be fun too.
2: And what are they? So we can look out for them.
3: We've got a a second car for Atlanta Speedworks in the car number 94. And then JDC Motorsports has come back with their number 17. Britt Casey Jr. and Mikey Taylor sharing that. Audi as well. They've already cleared up a race this year, getting the win at uh, Canadian Tire Motorsport Park. So they're going to be... a dynamic duo
2: uh, and the wheel crown champions of course uh, this weekend for the inaugural michelin pilot challenge in both gs and tcr that's in sound and vision on friday check uh, radio UK for the schedule time uh, what else have we got let's uh, talk a prototype challenge uh, where it's all nearly done by the shouting.
3: Yeah, it's it's pretty close to uh, everything going the way of Austin McCusker and Rodrigo Fluker, but there's 27 points to Leo Lamellis and Neil Abarica, so they can't afford to slip up. They can't afford to be the lo- first car to DNF mm-hmm. for, for them not even to make the start of the race. Now, this is the first race that takes place on Friday morning, hour-and-a-half contest, as we've come to expect. But Thursday, Wednesday in testing, you can't mm. afford to slip up, and Road right. Atlanta is a place that can bite.
2: So that's the main championship, with McCusker and Flota ahead. Balfour second, and third, and fourth, and fifth. I mean, the, the vice championship this year. I know it's not the same as taking the big, uh, the big cup home on Friday night, uh, or Friday afternoon, actually, as it will will be, and you'll be officiating
3: uh, on that as as ever, but the battle for second place in the championship is hot. You've got Lamellis and Alberico on 123 points, two points behind them is Stephen McAleer on his own, then is Dylan Murray on 117, you've got Bruce Hamilton and Tony Kestmetz on 115, and then James French and Cameron Castles, who, by the way, won the thing last year by himself in the Masters category... On 109, so everybody is just right there. But then Bronze Cup, there is a... Well, little... hang on, hang
2: on. Oh. 7th, 8th, 9th, 107, 105, 102. <laughs> I mean, we're talking, you know, an 18, 19-point spread between 2nd all the way down to ninth position.
3: Yeah, it's pretty crazy in through there. And especially given these races, if you've seen or heard mm. any one of these races... You can literally go from spinning behind the safety car to winning the race, Mr. Stephen McAleer.
2: Yep, absolutely right. (laughs) Bronze Cup uh, is is exactly what it says, two bronze drivers. Uh, That is a little more cut and dry.
3: Uh, Joel Janko and Jonathan George, who, by the way, staked the claim last year, said that they were going to come at this and go for the Bronze Cup. That was their goal and their only goal. They have 162 points, and they are ahead of Lance Wilsey on 145. So basically all they need to do is start and pretty much park they can afford to walk away with this one
2: uh okay if you're doing the uh, prototype challenge no you're doing the uh yeah you're doing the prototype challenge aren't you yeah you're giving out the big trophies there um that leaves me to do the porsche gt3 cup challenge usa by york harmer and how does that stand
3: well, they've had two races since we've last seen I know,
2: them. and I've not seen
3: either of them. They're cheating on us. Okay. It's just rude. They did race at WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca. It was the week after our race. so They, they were on
2: the IndyCar program, weren't they? Yeah,
3: they, they just took a little time off. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, in fairness, we didn't really have room for them in the Fair. paddock anyway. But Roman DeAngelis got another win but only one more win because Max Root took the win in the first race. So he did have a little bit more competition. But now that we actually get to Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta, things are settling down a bit. DeAngelis already crowned the 2019 Canadian champion. Mm -hmm. All he needs to do is start the race for the points to come into play. And then he'll have enough over Maxwell Root to claim the Platinum Championship. For Alan Metney, though... It's still close with Fred Pordead. This is the
2: Platinum Masters,
3: isn't it? Yeah. Yes, there's 15 points separating these two drivers after the rounds at Laguna Seca. So, Metney, who took off the last two races of the Canadian Championship of Mont-Tremblant, he didn't actually go to those. He still was able to put up a good fight for second in the championship. He can't afford the same luxury here. He can't slip up, and he can't rest on his laurels. That's the big thing coming into this weekend. It's a two-horse race, though. Everybody else is on 300-plus points. Mm -hmm. They're above 400 for those two. In the gold category, it's similar to what we see for DeAngelis in the form of Sebastian Carrazzo for NGT Racing. He's had one heck of a season. I mean, you can't deny what he's done. But 476 points, he's above Rob Ferriol, again, second in the gold championship. He's going to be getting sick of that position. It's where he finished last year but he's on 4.29. So Carrazzo, if he doesn't start both of the races, he would lose the championship. Yeah.
2: It's not going to be quite as close as a few years ago when every time a position changed, either at the front of the field or it wasn't necessarily the two people who were racing for the championship. It was where they were in conjunction to each other uh, that was uh, making the difference. So not quite uh, that close together. Um, We'll come back to share in a little while with... Uh, some details about the, the big race, Motul Patilamon, because we've also, of course, got the Endurance Cup to think about, which that boggles my mind. Uh, and we'll come back and do those in just a little while. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. We're in Atlanta ahead of Motul Patilamon. Full live coverage starting on Thursday. Check www dot radio show dot co dot uk for all the on-air details we've got plenty of it lots of it is in sound and vision and if you look on the bottom of that website you will find that it will change
0: automatically to your browser
2: time
1: this is rs1 part of the radio show limited network
0: midweek motorsport
2: Well, I've moved on here in one Porsche drive. I promised you some different things today, and this one is uh, one that I'm looking forward to. I'll have to knock on a door here to get in. Did you hear that clunk? I am being let into the Inner Sanctum, the Porsche Heritage Gallery, and the man who's the custodian here is uh, Ray Schaefer. Thanks, Ray, for letting us have a look around here on Midweek Motorsport. Tell me a little bit about the, the history of... Well, in fact, why is this here? Why even
5: do you need this in a corporate headquarters? Well, hello and welcome. Yes, the Porsche Experience Center Atlanta here, in a, here is the home of Porsche in America. Not only is it the Experience Center for folks to come through, it is the corporate headquarters, as you pointed out. So of course, we have to pay homage to our history and heritage. And inside the gallery, that's exactly what we do, with, of course, a focus on the history of Porsche here in America. Let's take a little walk. Um, the f- first thing on the right-hand side
2: here is uh, 1998, Le Mans. I remember it well, the Mobil 1 cars, and great history here at, up the road at Road Atlanta, of course, with the, that livery brought back last year to the, the win. I drove the Panamera around for a week with that, that Mobil 1 uh, livery on it as well and had to answer a lot of questions. Um, motorsport and Porsche, you, you can't actually divide them. Because in their 71-year history, Porsche have always done motorsport. It was the original PR machine. It was the original way that Dr. Porsche advertised his, what
5: some people said at the time, strange little cars. That's right. It was born out of necessity, right? The ability to promote the vehicle when they do well on the track was also for research and development. And that continues true today.
2: can't can't not talk about this car on the left as we've come in. By the way, I love the very industrial, polished concrete. We've got unfinished concrete pillars in here as well. Low-level lighting overall. The car's picked out in spotlight, and we'll come to that display, which I really want to talk about at the moment. But we're a motorsport programme, so let's talk about motorsport Here's another livery that's been revived, of course, the classic red, white, and blue of Brumos. Uh, Dan Davies, Bob Snodgrass, Hurley Haywood, all of those names come to mind, and we still miss Mr. Snodgrass terribly, gone long before his time. The red, white, and blue cars captured
5: the public's imagination, and none more so than this 1973 Daytona winner. That's right. You can't talk about the history of Porsche in America and racing, without talking about America's racing team, Brumos Porsche, Hurley Haywood, Peter Gregg, back in the early 1970s. This, one of the early RSR prototypes. The other one, of course, was given to Penske Racing, and an epic battle ensued in 1973. And, of course, the rest is history, right? It, it really set the foundations, didn't it? I remember speaking to Dan, uh, was it last
2: year or the year before? Oh, it might have been... Uh, Where was it? might have even been... Yeah, it was last year at the Rolex, yes. So I'm getting too old now. Right? Um, <laughs> And, and he said he, he was never sure it was going to capture people's imagination when it did. But with the driving force, that force of nature that was Mr. Bob Snodgrass, with the immediate recognition that the red, white, and blue, he had T-shirts, he had merchandise,
5: and people took it to their hearts immediately. Absolutely. And you see it today, as you mentioned mm-hmm. earlier this year, with the retro livery uh, that started at Daytona with the factory RSR there absolutely has captured the attention and uh, the hearts of the American, and I should say the global public. Well, absolutely. America's Ab-
2: racing team is what you said. When people come in then, and obviously a variety of people come in here, whether they're corporate partners, whether they're here for a day driving at the Porsche Experience here at Atlanta, uh, or whether they're coming to the restaurant or whatever, are they surprised, particularly the younger generation, when they see a car like this from 1973, or some of the older cars even, and they immediately say, oh, well,
5: that's a Porsche 911, because it's immediately recognisable. Absolutely. I mean, this is, for me, one of the really enjoyable parts of this is seeing a new generation, younger people, experiencing for the first time uh, we see new vehicle owners that come in that are taking delivery of their vehicle here. And they're learning for the first time that, wait a minute, there's, there's a car other than a 911. There's a, 9, <laughs> there's a 914. What is this red car? That's a 924. What's that all about? Right. And so you see this uh, through the classic model line. You see the interest start to rise up. And, of course, then you start to go down that, that rabbit hole and you realize just how deep the history and heritage of Porsche really is.
2: And before we leave this car, I should say you were at Brumos for quite a long time, so this one must be great to have this one in the Heritage Gallery. Uh, you know, I was honoured to actually have a chance to drive that car <laughs> last year,
5: and uh, it is amazing.
2: Is it, is, I mean, a lot of people, and a lot of contemporary drivers, some contemporary drivers, don't like driving old cars, because they're used to what they're used to, things have moved on, things have changed. But when you look inside, this 1973 car, oh, look at that, it's all, oh, listen to how that door opens! But, but look at the purity!
5: I mean, that really... That's just a road car with a cage in it, and it's an extraordinary thing. Yeah, the door sill mouldings are all there. Of course, the panel is is, uh, the map pockets and what have you gone off the door, but the door lock is still there, the window roll is still there, the dashboard is complete. Uh, this is, you know, look at the window trim around the car, everything, it's... Um,
2: it's still got the chrome, never yeah. mind having having the, 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 the sealers, the rubbers, it's got chrome around it. And there's something about the smell of an old race car, isn't there? It never goes away.
5: No, and it's, it's intoxicating in, the, <laughs> in all the right ways. That's brilliant. Uh, well, let's just close that door gently, hang on.
2: Oh, that's fantastic. It closes just like a 911. Now you mentioned other porsches and before we get to the main exhibit here which is 914s must have a word about the 924 gts here bright red in the canon uh, livery and uh, sporting the 81 because it's a 1981 car now i'm a 968 owner so i love transaxle trans- cars uh, and this is one of the holy grails for transaxle owners uh, along with the uh, the five nine six eights uh, that were the turbo cars that were built by the factory this is a gts club sport um, with the full race pack on it i mean fantastic i'm I'm bound to say this and i'm biased but i still love the shape of these cars from the the 24 through the 44 to the 68 again
5: that the purity of design but the proportions of this car still work today absolutely this was a young harmless guy that did this design back in the early 1970s and you think about how long that production all the way through to the uh, mid 90s as you pointed out with the 968 this particular car 924 Carrera GTS they made 59 of them and 15 of those were club sport specifications which this is the aluminum matter roll cage the twin 935 seats even the turbo boost knob on this one taken from a 935 original owner was Bruce Levin and he insisted on that I like it I like it a lot I mean, that was, again,
2: built by Porsche to get people to go racing in some way, shape or form.
5: Well, you have to think in the time, back in the early 1980s, late 70s when this was being developed, the thought was the 911 was going away. So there had to be something for customers to buy and drive. So these cars not only did road racing, but they were also prepared for rally racing as well. Extraordinary to
2: think that we nearly lost the iconic 911 back in those days. uh, the 24, the 44, and the 68 was supported. By the time the 68 had come along, I think the minds had been made up that it wasn't going, that the 911 wasn't going anywhere. But extraordinary think that this
5: w- this was the car that was going to replace the 911. That that's it, and it was thoroughly modern. You know, it had the transaxle layout, so the balance of the car was almost near perfect, 50 50 weight distribution. Practical car from a two plus two, just like the mm-hmm. 911, but with more trunk space in the back, and of course with the ability into the future that uh, the emissions and the fuels and the noise standards and everything Mm. that they were challenged with, the air-cooled car, they were able to um, solve with this and the 928 as well. Of course, once Peter Schutz made that decision not to discontinue the 911 and he let Helmut and his team free to go on the development, you could see what they were able to do with the 911 in the form of the 959 and technology for the next 25 years. Amazing to think, though, as I say, front-engined
2: four-cylinder cars, originally 2.5 litres, went out to 3 litres, which was the biggest four-cylinder engine in a passenger car at the time. It never feels like it's going to start up on my 968, but it always does. It's about getting the, breaking the inertia of those four big cylinders. And it's two cars in one. It's a typical Porsche. People say it isn't. For a long time, it was, it was looked down. Uh, all of the transaxle cars, people looked down on them. Oh, it's not a proper Porsche. It's two cars in one at least because you can drive it gently use the torque of the big engine and then when you want to rev it, the later cars with the Vario Ram uh, engine, exactly the same technology as the 911s of the time, they came alive, genuine GT, I've toured Europe, we used to, this was the most practical car we had for a while, like, my wife used to call it our Porsche estate car, our Porsche wagon, because with the back seats down in the hatchback, you can get a, get a lot in, what a different outlook we might have had
5: about Porsche yeah. and how different yeah. might the company have looked? If, if the 911 had gone away in the in the 80s. That's absolutely right. And you look where we are now with the four-cylinder and the 718s and the power that comes out of those two, two-and-a-half litres. Here we are in the early 80s, just under 300 horsepower out of this two-litre four-cylinder mm-hmm. turbo. Just amazing.
2: Brilliant stuff. I really That might be my favourite so far. Carrera GT, very, very lovely. That's the namesake of that car. Uh, with the... Uh, v10 engine uh an engine that might have gone to Le Mans but didn't and spawned this car looking slightly forward if you look at the uh the 918 you see a lot of the 918 I even see a bit of the Boxster in this round the scalloping round the edges again it's all about evolution not revolution but if we're going to talk about Boxster we've got to turn round and talk about these 914s behind us because there's another car It's funny, isn't it, how Porsche people sometimes get get a little bit of the nose turned up when something new comes along. (laughs) A new Boxster turns up, which actually saves the company, uh, using a lot of the tooling, the front uh, end of uh, the then uh, 996. uh, Fantastically different car for Porsche, taking them into a different area. But because it's got the engine in the middle, of course, it's not a proper Porsche and yet, we're looking at
5: 914s here, the original mid-engine Porsche. That's right, uh, you're, you're absolutely right, because if you remember back, uh, Porsche number 356 number 1 was a mid-engine car. 356 slash 2, the 356 we all could purchase and know and love now, of course they turned the engine around to make more practical to get the seating space behind but so yes when you look at the 914 other than the the 550s and the 904s and 906s it was really the first time they've done a mid-engine layout for relatively mass production I probably shouldn't use the word mass because it certainly isn't those large of a numbers but nevertheless an opportunity for uh, people who were used to in the in the late 60s early 70s of having to make do with sort of front engine sports cars of the, in the traditional sense the British sports car mm. layout if you will Uh, the MGs and the Triumphs and what have you, this car must have been, you know, it was the future.
2: Incredibly practical as well with the front luggage space, uh, a Targa top that fit into the car, so you didn't have to worry about leaving that in the garage and it raining uh, when you were out and about. Suffered, of course, at the time, originally badged as a vw porsche um, and that again made people mm, does that work that was there was a marketing reason behind that but coming into their own now and becoming loved again and i think it's it's odd with porsches sometimes the passage of time people tend to see them for how important they were for the brand and this was an important car for the brand
5: no doubt about it. Here in the United States, of course, they were only marketed as Porsches. Yes, the VW Porsche moniker that you're talking about, and of course the cooperation between the two companies, uh, based in Ludwigsburg. Uh, was for the European Mm -hmm. and rest of the world. So here in the U.S., the cars were very successful from a sales standpoint. In fact, we have a 76 on display here. Cars were all built in 1975, but because of the way the uh, laws and the emissions and everything were, they could actually sell the car for one more year here in the United States. So 1976 was the last year for the car. But this being the 50th anniversary of the introduction of the 914, Porsche Classic is celebrating that and honoring the car with some special... Uh, releases including a very cool tool bag that um, is in the the um, plaid and orange colors oh. of the creamsicle car that we have over here on our left uh, this is a 916 in front of us yeah.
2: uh, a genuine 9, 9, uh, 916 um, so that's
5: the six-cylinder engine now they're rarer than a rare thing on a rare deer there's only 11 of them they were all built as prototypes the car, the intention behind this model was to be an up-level, the interior is beautifully trimmed. You look at it today and you think, oh, well, it just has a lot of leather in it. But you have to remember, back back then, even the 911 wasn't necessarily trimmed to that with every model. So this was to be a fixed-roof version of the 914. Mm. Uh, it was a uh, the engine out of the 911S, the front suspension out of the 911S, the bodywork, the bumpers painted, unique front and rear bumper caps, and, of mm. course, the box fender flares that we now know and love from the 914.6 GT And the And the black slam
2: panel between the rear lights as well. That's, yes. that's nice. Yeah, you can I, see the I like that. I must have a quick look inside. Fuchs alloys as well, of course, on that. That's exquisite inside. And so, still so Porsche. I mean, the triple dial in front of the driver, the pull switches. I recognize quite a lot of that layout from my... 1990s, 911, and even the the 95, uh, 968. Now this one, alongside it in blue, we'll get back to some motorsport in a moment, I promise. But this is too good a, a, an opportunity to to pass up. Now, this
5: has the flares from the 16, but this this is quite a special car. This is this is a very rare option package M471. Right. And that was the package that was designed to homologate the bodywork for the 914-6 GT in racing. And supposed to be somewhere between four or 500 cars built. My understanding is about 23 of them left the factory wow. with the package. The rest of them were sold as kits through dealers. So that's
2: got a that has got a motorsport heritage alongside it because that was the homologation car. Asked, uh, um, Alfa Romeo did the same with the 155 touring car back in the early 90s. They um, homologated a much bigger aero package, front and rear splitter and a rear big wing, and that was sold as a special, the 155 Silverstone, but it had, you basically, you got those bits in the trunk of the car. Right. And it was up to you whether you got the dealer to fit them. So there's going to be some of those lying about. I suspect that in Porsche dealers somewhere, there's wide arch kits sitting around in inventory somewhere
5: that people don't know about. That's right. Those old dealership buildings up in the rafters somewhere, maybe, right? You never know what you might find.
2: Yeah, I know. Right, come on. Let's move on. Oh, this is fantastic. We're in the Porsche Heritage Gallery. Ray Schaefer is my guide here uh, on a special little trip round for this midweek motorsport from one Porsche Drive. OPD as people that call it here. I love this, by the way, I've just had to replace a badge on my 968 because someone decided to steal it. The way that the badges are made, and also, if you're really nerdy like me... By looking at the badge, you can tell how old the car is because it's changed very subtly with some uh, different colours and the Porsche script on the top, some of it sometimes being black, uh, other times just left in the gold. Now, we're moving downstairs now and you can probably hear a slight difference in acoustics because we've moved into uh, a much less populated room in terms of cars and there's big motorsport in here. Um, Let's go straight to the 59 again. We started with the 59 upstairs. This is... The 914.6 Roadster GTR in Brumos orange, fantastic. I've seen this car before at the Brumos collection when you were there many years ago. Charles Dressing showed Jewel Bradley
5: and I around. This car's still racing. It is. This is the HSR-built car for historic sports car racing that Bob and Hurley shared in that series in the years in between the IMSA supercar program here in the United States and the starting of the Daytona prototype series when they went back to professional racing in between they did a lot of vintage racing and they loved the 914s they built this particular car that of course they have the original 914 6 gt that won the first ever imsa gt championship in 1971 they still have that car in the collection and they built tribute cars Mm -hmm. around that so that they could take if i remember correctly the number was somewhere around seven or eight of them would show up at an hsr event you'd have all these tangerine 914s running all over the track
2: and, and if, you, if you're not sure what we're talking about, go and have a look at it on the web. But it's distinctive because it effectively has an aerodynamic hard tonneau cover over the passenger compartment that gives the the look almost of a single-seater. Obviously, it's not. It's, it's two seats wide. But it covers. There's a, a place for the driver. Uh, I take it you've got to take that off to get in. Or does it... Ah, I see. Door has been
5: opened. So you can get in without taking that off you get in over the top I take it you that's right you climb over you as you can see this is a NASCAR size uh, impact beam on the door opening and so you can pretty much stand right on that and climb in if you like. I love it and it's the little aero screen on the front the Ginther screen as it's Absolutely. called after Richie Ginther that's right yeah back in the early 1970s Alan Johnson, Richie Ginther running in the SCCA, uh, the Sports Car Club of America here in the United States uh, they took the wind sh- the normal windscreen off and put this little aerodynamic piece over to reduce the frontal area and that became, that became a thing and of course as you pointed out was known as the Ginther, mm. Ginther screen.
2: Terribly competitive, a great racing package, beautifully balanced, of course, with that mid-engined layout, and could embarrass much bigger engine and what people would have thought would have been more competitive cars.
5: For sure. They didn't have to slow down for the corners as much as the big <laughs> front-engine Corvettes did, let's say, and some of the uh, the straight-six Jaguars and what have you. So here they were uh, in, in period racing as well as vintage racing. These were very competitive up against the Datsun 240Z cars, mm-hmm. you might recall, and John Morton and those guys racing so yeah it was a wonderful series back in the day let me open up the engine
2: compartment oh yes let's do that nothing better than seeing a flat six in situ now you see it, you can see that here with the uh, carburetor
5: tubes up on the top there looking that's really low
2: mounted really low isn't
5: it isn't that the center of gravity is so low The car just pivots it feels like on your lower elbow when you're shifting and driving the car it's uh, just amazing these are wonderful to drive.
2: I've yet to find the engine in uh, my wife Eve's Boxster. I, I, it's, it's under there somewhere, but absolutely, absolutely the similar idea. Get it down low. Now, in, in the road-going Boxster, of course, the space above the engine is used as, as, as another, another luggage area, and you actually can't see the engine at all, but it's down in almost
5: exactly the same place. Absolutely, absolutely, and just as you pointed out, they, when you think about the Boxster, we actually managed to fit the folding top, over the engine which is very clever yeah and of course that thanks to the fuel injection had we had these velocity stacks maybe we couldn't fit the top yeah, there yeah
2: absolutely i love this car nine nine fourteen six <laughs> mm. needs to be one in right before we go quick word about the car down the far end because a lot of people forget that porsche have an indycar uh, history and um, possibly not quite as successful as they would have hoped but You've got one here, rightly so, in North America.
5: Absolutely, and it's very fitting, as you pointed out. You have to remember, again, uh, we spoke earlier about Peter Schutz. He was an American, born, ran, and uh, ran the company back uh, in the early 1980s and understood the importance of the U.S. market to mm-hmm. Porsche at the time, then as well as uh, now, and felt it very important that Porsche show their engineering at the biggest, one of the biggest races in the world, if not here in the United States, the Indy 500. And so even though they weren't able to get the 1980-81 effort up and running because of the rule change. They made another run at it again in the late 1980s, did win a race here at Mid-Ohio with Teo Fabi in 1989, uh, but eventually stopped the program, I believe, after 1990. That V8 engine, though, if you think about, you mentioned 918 Spyder earlier, but that Mm V8 engine, nothing ever goes to waste at Porsche, right? So that that V8 engine development continued on, eventually we saw it again in the, the form of the RS Spyder, and that RS Spyder V8, course was the basis for the v8 and the 918 well hang on a minute
2: that indycar engine was was part of the development
5: of the of the of the spider it it continued on wow you think of the car that next
2: now you see year, this is what we've got to finish right? off with and there's a reason for this and joe bradley is gonna hit and i know you know joe um is gonna hit the fact that i'm standing here next to the 1981 le mans winning porsche the Jules porsche uh, ironic that we've been talking about a lot of liveries here, given that we're reviving some of the old liveries and the Coca-Cola cars running again this weekend. And that's how we used to talk about them. Back in the day, you talked about the Lonebrow car, you talked about the Jules car, you talked about the Shell cars, or the Rothmans cars, or whatever it was. Because that's, frankly, there was that many Porsches out there, that was the only way you could distinguish them. This was the car that won with Derek Bell and Jack Yicks at the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Joe Bradley pretty much got run over and uh, got a ride on the uh, on the, the side pod of this car as, as the, the the crowd invaded the track.
5: I mean, first of all, I've got to say, Ray, fabulous for having it here. Uh, is, is this owned by Porsche now? This is. We're, we're thankful for the Porsche Museum in Stuttgart to loan this vehicle here. It was at Amelia Island earlier this year where Jackie X was honoured, and we've been able to have it on display here at the home of Porsche in America ever since. But you were talking earlier about the evolution, the development mm. of that V8 engine. This car is also an example of that exact same type of evolution. Because by this point in time, if you recall, 1981 was supposed to be the year that they would take the 924 GTPs to the track. And, of course, they probably would make a good account of themselves and maybe even win the class. But as far as overall goes, there mm-hmm. wasn't a chance of that. When Peter Schutz heard about that... He challenged the team. He said, look, we're not going to go to the track without the intent of winning. So Overall. Overall. Mm-hmm. So Lamar was 62 days away. He said, we're going to get back together tomorrow, all the motorsport people, and you're going to tell me what your plan is to win that race. So they came back the next morning, and the engineers at Porsche came forward and, and basically said, look, we have this 936. We haven't run it in a while. It's in the Porsche Museum. We think if we would take that IndyCar engine that we developed – For the Indy 500, we can convert it to gasoline to run at Le Mans. We can do a 917 gearbox in that. We can modify the bodywork. We think we have a chance to win overall with that car. So they pulled it out of the museum. They made their modifications to it. And of course, 61 days later, the rest is history, right? Can you imagine that nowadays? It's just unthinkable when you
2: consider how far in advance things are being planned. We're talking now about the 2021 IMSA DPI regulations that will be signed off shortly. That will be one of Scott Atherton's final things that he'll do before he, he leaves as the man at the head of IMSA. And doing that in 61 days is an extraordinary feat. But as I always tell people,
5: Porsche are an engineering company who just happened to build cars. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that continues today. That's why the development that we'll see coming from Formula E, Mm -hmm. the opportunity for that technology to find its way into the production cars, it's fascinating. And it just continues. The sports car racing we'll see this weekend. It's all there.
2: Final thought from me on this car, and I'm going to ask you a question about, about some of the exhibits here. I love, the, I, I love the proportions of this car. Yes, I know driver's feet are probably further forward than we would like nowadays because you're basically resting your, the back of your calves on the steering rack, frankly. Um, but it looks fresh, and the front end of this car, if DPI 20, DPI 2.0, as we're calling it, looks like this around
5: the front end and looks like the cars that it's meant to look like, then nobody's going to complain, are they? don't we love the way these cars look right the 962s the 936s the 917s these prototypes are just fabulous what are we, just to finish off here and
2: uh, i'm, I'm going to pop back upstairs and we'll, we'll do a bit more with sheer on the uh, the preview of the weekend in a moment or two go back to our little quiet space up there um, what do people ask about these cars when they come in? Because a lot of people, this is a long time ago now, I, I accept that. I remember it, you remember it. But, you know, we, we're dipped in gasoline, aren't we? And we, and we, and we still have grease in our, in our joints. But a lot of people will not know
5: that that's... And they'll see the Porsche's shield on the front and they'll go, what is that? It looks like a spaceship. It did in those days, it still does. It absolutely does. But that's where you have the opportunity to say, well, look, if I could take the engine cover off and show you mm-hmm. what's in there there's a flat six turbo in there. Mm-hmm. And that is very similar to the technology that was available on the 930 of the day. Mm-hmm. And when you think of the development of turbocharging from the from the early 1970s in, in the 917s and the 911s, and where that's led us to just about every vehicle that we have now being turbocharged. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's really, uh, it's been that evolution. So the car obviously grabs the attention by the way it looks, but when you begin to explain, well, this is, this is technology that's in the car that you're driving or the car that's sitting over there that's a classic car that you might like to acquire for your enjoyment, mm-hmm. that begins that conversation. And, and for that reason, these cars are wonderful uh, pieces to have around so Porsche then in motorsport started in motorsport
2: continued through motorsport the old cars are still telling the story in motorsport you mentioned Formula E we've got Taycan coming along which is Porsche's full electric car and you you straddle both street uh, road cars and, and, and race cars here uh, there will be people right now saying, oh, Porsche, building an electric car. In exactly the same way as I described earlier about, oh, a front-engine car, oh, a mid-engine car. I've not driven it yet, but I know people that have, and everybody said, yeah, but it's a Porsche. In the same way as a Macan or a Cayenne, I'm, I'm very honoured to be driving a, a, a Cayenne Turbo this week. It's a Porsche, and the essence of the motorsport of Porsche will continue to filter
5: down and it's not even trickling down anymore. It's coming down like a, like a waterfall. Absolutely. You know, if Porsche came out tomorrow and said, we're going to build a school bus, mm-hmm. after everything that I've seen, because <laughs> I, remember, I remember when they said they're going to build an SUV. Yes. And as a purist, my, my initial thoughts were, oh, really, are we going to do that? Mm-hmm. But then you drive the Cayenne, you see the Cayenne, and you, you begin to realize it's about a formula. Mm-hmm. What, so whatever they apply this formula to, the Porsche approach, the Porsche principle then it's, it's a success in the, in the driving hands of our customers. And had we listened to the critics when the 911 was introduced, right? If it isn't a 356, it isn't a real Porsche. Would we even be standing here today? Well, that's a good point. Uh, this weekend, Road Atlanta, Coca-Cola Colors are back. That's
2: big. It's big for here in Atlanta because two big brands. It's big for world because those two massive global brands. And for petrol heads like us, it's, it's just right, isn't it?
5: It's absolutely right. And, of course, here in the United States, if you're like yourself, like myself, remember IMSA Racing in the 70s and 80s, you remember the Coca-Cola Porsche, you remember Bob Aiken. If you knew Bob, you knew what kind of guy he was, a true gentleman racer and a heck of a driver, two-time Sebring winner, and just an absolute gentleman. So... Uh, the car brings back memories and wonderful thoughts on so many levels. We're definitely pulling for it for the hometown win. Ray, I can't thank you enough uh, for this. I wish I could spend more time, but Cher
2: Adam is waiting with some more of our preview for this weekend's Mortal Petit Lamont Curry. Back in London, he's going to play a, a little promo to give me enough time to get back and find share.
1: The RS Travel Club is the best way to get to the biggest motorsport events.
0: Ready-made packages or bespoke itineraries for Le Mans, Daytona, Sebring, the Nürburgring, Spa and Bathurst and many more. We've got them all covered so you can be there.
1: Accommodation, flights, ferries, trains and the all-important race tickets.
0: Our travel partners are APTA and Atoll Bondit so you can book with confidence.
1: Start planning your trip today with the RS Travel club at radiolamon.com.
2: Right, shares back with us, and we did promise some, uh, some preview for Mortal Petit Le Mans this weekend. Let's start off with the 12 cars in GT Daytona. Been a cracking, cracking season and very competitive, and across all the championships, uh, it's pretty close whichever way you look at it there's no way you can say that anything is is all done and dusted
3: yeah when you look at the overall driver's championship it is a runway trent himman and mario Farnbacher, 32 points but they are the only runaway in yes, terms of the category true, because true. second zach robichon Five points behind him are Bill Oberlin and Robbie Foley. They still could be bringing this thing home second place in the championship. One point behind them, John Potter and Andy Lally making what's rumored and not yet officially confirmed to be the last start for Magnus racing. We've got Cooper McNeil and Tony Volander after that second place finish at WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca. They're on 220 points. So they're only 12 points behind second place. And by the way, Cooper and Scuderia, of course, won the race last Mm. year in GTD. Then you've got the two Lexuses separated by one point each in the Drivers' Championship. Ben Keating and Jerome Bleakmullen, not far behind them either. And then Catherine Legg, Patrick Long, who's not going to be racing this weekend. And we should talk about that uh, in a moment. And then last year's defending champion, Brian Sellers. So that's your top 11 drivers. And if you take the first place out of it, you've got them separated by 42 points.
2: Yeah. And in fact, the bulk of those are separated by an awful lot. Yeah. I mean, if you take the the top eight of those um, with the, the the first crew taken out, um, you're well under... 24. Yeah, I was going to say, it, <laughs> I was just doing that, I was under 30. Yeah. Uh, I know that, right. Well, let's talk about Pat Long and Patrick Lindsay, not going to be there.
3: No, the uh, chassis damage being too much from the crash uh, sustained in qualifying during the last round. They've elected not to try and scramble to get the car fixed in terms of getting it here for Petit Le Mans, and they're focusing just on the GT4 car.
2: It was a big accident. Patrick walked away. He was very annoyed with himself. Uh, You know, We haven't heard very much from him, but as far as we know, there's been no ill effects on him.
3: No, exactly. And I'm sure he will be here because he's sitting on the pit box even on weekends where he's not racing and he's not supposed to be there. I'm thinking Belle Isle when mm. he was just there because he couldn't help himself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm sure he will be around this weekend. But yes, the car not participating, which is a shame because Patrick Long, five wins of Petit Le Mans, Patrick Lindsay, two wins himself. That would have been a stout lineup.
2: Right. Before we go on to Endurance Cup, have you got the numbers for... The manufacturers, yes, yes, you have very, very tight indeed. I remember Jeremy talking about this. So, if we start in fourth place on 254, it's Lexus, third Porsche 261, second Acura 268, and with the narrowest margin possible, Lamborghini lead going in to Motil Patilamon, by one point, 269 to 268.
3: Okay, so here's the little thing that we have to remember. There is no McLaren racing this weekend, so we only have eight manufacturers. That right. said, the points is still 12 between first to last, right. so there could be a big point swing, but not as big as we've seen in other races. We don't have that 13 possible points because there's no McLaren. That, All right, that's so good.
2: Lexus effectively can't win it Yes, now because they're 13... Uh, they're 15, 15. Yes. they're 15 behind Lamborghini. So the top three are still in play.
3: Correct. So Lamborghini would need both of their, all three of their cars, excuse me, to not start the race in order to have Lexus with a shot. But then it would also need to be the same for both of the Acuras and so on mm-hmm. and so forth. So mm-hmm. Lexus effectively out of it. But Porsche, Acura and Lamborghini all still within a shout. The interesting thing was talking to teams involved with Lamborghini and Acura at the last round they were trying to decide who the third driver was going to be based on their best shot at a manufacturer's championship. Ooh, so that's why it's even more interesting to me why third drivers have been chosen from both of those cars.
2: Right. Let's uh, take a quick look at GTD and the Endurance Cup, where uh, manufacturers is, as you might imagine, just as good. Now, do we award... Interim points for manufacturers is the same as we do for drivers. Correct. So we're going to have to keep on top of this.
3: Correct. And the very interesting thing is looking back at the manufacturers' points in terms of the uh, rigidity at which the times are, are distributed, Mercedes had a terrible Watkins Glen. If you remember, Ben Keating was involved in the crash with Mm -hmm. Tommy Milner at Mm -hmm. turn four of lap Mm -hmm. one, did not participate in that race. They didn't gain any points Mm -hmm. in that race, Mm -hmm. and they still lead on 29 points because Bill Riley knows how to play this game very well. He's won this cup twice in the past.
2: So the drivers and the manufacturer points are the same for the leaders because that's the Mercedes-Benz EMG squad of Keating uh, Blake Amorlin, and Felipe Fraga. Mm-hmm. Second in manufacturers' points is Ferrari, um, but they are, their crew and it, second. It is second, but with 26 points. And that's just the vagaries of, of who scored the points.
3: That's because at Daytona, there was a Ferrari running with Paul Dallalana, Daniel Serra, Pedro Lamy, yes. and Matthias Lauda. Yeah. They scored one more point during the, I think it was first hour of scoring, right. than the Scuderia course did. So, the so they points... were
2: the best point scoring Ferrari. Correct. At that time, at that point in time where they're given out.
3: Correct. So that's how Ferrari yeah. accrued 27 points, whereas the 63 crew only has 26.
2: Right. And behind them on 25... Acura have got 26 points in the Manufacturers' Championship, so they're still uh, very much in it, in, and they're on the same points as uh, Audi and Lamborghini, so three-way tie for third in manufacturers. As far as the teams are concerned, it's the Justin Marks, Super Mario, uh, farmbackner and Trent Hinman car on 25 points in drivers. Uh, the Chris Mays, Daniel Morad, and Ricardo Feller team are on 24. And what's that, 22 for, for- for that, I can't read your yes.
3: It is. It's twenty-two for the Daytona and Sebring winning trio from Grasshopper Racing, who are right. not running in Petit Le Mans. So right. they're there for posterity reasons, just right. just to make us feel better. But effectively, fifth place will change this weekend because there are three teams tied on sixth, and they're only one point further back.
2: Right. And in terms of who's still in the shout, then in the IMSA Michelin Endurance Cup, the points, as we said, various times across uh, the Various times across the race, and it does lead to some odd strategy. Bill Riley has been the king of that, but clearly, in the manufacturers, all of the top four, uh, top five manufacturers in the top three places, well, they're only separated by three points, so they're still a Porsche out of it being seven points back from Mercedes.
3: Yes, because there are 20 points or total, or no, 15 points total, but the least amount of points that you can get per time is per manufacturer manufacturer would be six right so that would be an eight point swing Mm, not enough okay it it would take a miracle
2: okay as far as the drivers are concerned clearly with one point between the top each between the top four crews this is we're going to see some really interesting strategy being played out which might let someone else in for the win
3: I would never bet against Bill Riley in this situation. (laughs) You hold the points lead after running two out of the three races, and he knows how to strategize perfectly to the hour marks with a three-point advantage over the 63, a four-point advantage over the 86, and a five-point advantage over the 29. This is Bill Riley's to lose, and he does not often do that
2: listening to Midweek Motorsport we'll be back with Shea as we look at the uh, prototypes uh, and the GTEs of course GTLM cars will be next and so we've got some good news in that we've got an extra car for GT Le Mans that'll be a bit later on on Midweek Motorsport
0: Oh, sorry you caught me off guard there it's Midweek Motorsport and here's what's coming up.
2: Series 14, episode 38. This is Midweek Motorsport and a special one as I'm John Hindorf at One Porsche Drive, the Porsche Experience Ex- Center at Atlanta. Good to have you company on this special Midweek Motorsport. And in the second hour of tonight's program, well, the Porsche Works drivers from the 911 and the 912 are all here, all six of them. We'll have a chat with them in the second hour once I can prize them out of the Porsche Experience cars that they are in at the moment. I think that's about to come to an end, but I'm sure they will say that it's important research. Uh, we've also got a little bit more news to come as well in the second half of tonight's programme. But next, share Adam with the uh, next part of our preview to Motil Patilamon.
0: Midweek Motorsport on RadioLamont.com.
2: Right, Sheer, before we get to GT Le Mans for Motul Petit Le Mans. Whilst we talked about the championship implications, we didn't really talk about any of the lineups in GT Daytona. So let's run through the, the headlines here
3: uh well we've got robbie foley back with uh, turner motorsports it's his first time in the car since watkins Glen. he was in the car last year when there was a crash and ultimately took that car out of the running so he's going to be looking to try and redeem himself and robbie a rookie coming into petit le mans bill who's won it three times needs no introduction but it's just interesting when you get that lineup and and justin Marks applies for this too with the championship elect Meyer Shank Racing number 86 Acura. He's run Petit Le Mans three times and he's never finished the race. Mm-hmm. Dylan MacAvern. he's run the race once and he's never finished. That mentally affects you at a certain point. So that's going to be something to watch out for. Um, who else was interesting? Oh, we've got uh, Christina back with Bia and Catherine for the Caterpillar Acura. That's going to be a fun trio to watch as well as Bia making her race debut at Petit Le Mans, mm. which is another interesting one. Marco Seafried being chosen to join the Paul Miller Racing squad at Lamborghini. He's no stranger to that team.
2: Well, and also the other Lamborghini, Shinya Mishimi, uh, is in the Precision Performance Motorsport car with uh, Brandon Godovic and Don Young. All um, Lamborghini Super Trofeo. Uh, runners there Mishimi a a former champion
3: yes he is and it's interesting to see that not only is PPM back for this race we've only seen them for the North American Endurance Championship rounds but that Lamborghini has clearly elected to gift them one of their favorite drivers Mm. to put in the car so remember we've seen Jake Edson in the car at Watkins Glen running with those duo Shinny Mishimi is a very good choice
2: Uh, And a couple of other notable additions, Parker Chase in the 14 uh, Lexus, Aaron Tellet in the 12 car.
3: Parker, interesting to be joining that team. Watch out, that could be a foreboding of what we're going to see next year it could just be a bit of a test run for him but for Aaron Thiel it's really pleased to see that youngster back in the Lexus with Townsend Bell and Frankie Montecalvo hasn't been doing a lot of driving this year unless you include driving a trailer across country for (laughs) friends Uh, so it's really good to see him in a race car
2: and a quick note as well about the number nine car Faf Motorsports in the new colors this weekend which is playing uh, which are playing with at Shea's a brain, because yeah. she's used to have seen them in the red and dark blue plaid this year, and now it's going to be a blue and yellow tartan, uh, which is stunning, but very different. Uh, Lars Kern jumps in with the two Canucks, uh, with Zach Robichon and Scott Hargrove. For those that don't know, Lars Kern might not be a name that comes uh, to mind quickly, the German silver-rated driver. But he is the guy who sets all the road car records for Porsche around the Nordschleife. So coming to Road Atlanta is going to be right up his Strasse, as it were. Right, nine, GT Le Mans, because as we mentioned uh, in the show last week or the week before, can't remember now, uh, we've got Reese Bach, James Collado, Alessandro Perghidi and Daniel Serra. Welcome back to the team.
3: Yay! Yeah, the first time since 2016 where the actual Le Mans winning trio of that year is back driving at Petit Mm. Le Mans. So that's going to be a very fun feather in their cap. And keep in mind the last time Risi Competizione ran in IMSA was at Daytona Mm -hmm. and the red flag. And they were second when the red flag came out. No team was more upset that the race did not restart than them.
2: Uh, As far as this category is concerned, we're seeing a lot of goodbyes this weekend. Um, Certainly to, or, sorry, potentially to the Ford GT, 66 and 67, might be their last time out. Definitely to this iteration of the championship leading 911 and 912 Porsche 911 RSRs. Also to the Corvette, new car at uh, Petit Le Mans this weekend. We'll have the opportunity to talk about that in some more detail because we're going to have some a little bit of a technical seminar on that. Stay tuned to IMSA radio for that as well and whilst we've had no announcement from bmw about team rll that's not unheard of but we expect that they will continue next year but as i say a lot of goodbyes here all getting distilled into What that means, as far as I'm concerned, is there's a lot of people who've got a lot of reason to try even harder than usual.
3: Yeah, and Petit Le Mans, you know how I always talk about the great duos that we Mm. have running in GTLM? Well, a lot of that's going to change for next year. But Petit Le Mans, as it is, is the race that most of the great duos have not won together. And that's remarkable in and of itself. So everybody wants to go out. You want to win the last race of the year. You want to win the championship, summing up race, in effect, but you also want to win petite if you've never won it before. And there are very few of the combinations on the entry list. Actually, there's only one of the combinations on the entry list that has won Petit Le Mans before. And it's the guys who did it last year in the number 911.
2: And they're still in with a chance of the championship for drivers, of course. It's an outside chance. And their biggest competition, uh, their teammates, Urban and Lawrence Vanta, Fred Marco and Mathieu Giamini in the nine. 11 and nine, twelve are the additional drivers, as we've we come to expect. The team's championship wrapped up now, so they will be allowed to race.
3: Well, and remember how when we were talking a few minutes ago about uh, GTD and the Manufacturers' Championship mm-hmm. being only 8, GTLM is now 9, mm-hmm. which means that there's a 13-point spread. Oh, good point. There's 12 points between 1st and 2nd in the championship. So if Tandy, Pele, and Mako repeat, if they do for the... 8th, ninth, and 10th, no, 7th, 8th, and ninth time in their car because they already have six wins mm. between them of Petit Le Mans. If they manage to bring that number 911 home first and the sister car finishes either 8th or ninth, mm-hmm. they'll win the championship because on countback, they count they'll have four wins, whereas the sister car only has three.
2: Uh, plenty of other manufacturer interests, as I say, because of the ends of eras. You've mentioned potentially driver changes that are not our announcements to make and I suspect that we probably there's a potential that we might hear about some of that this weekend but I I don't think so I think we'll hear about that after the season is over because I, I don't think it's the done thing before you go to one of the biggest races of the season to say it to people either you're not coming back next year or we're changing teams so uh, in terms of the endurance championship for, uh, for the GT Le Mans
3: it already belongs to Tandy and Pille, in effect. If they take the green flag and they are running at each of the points, they're going to come home with enough points, even at the bare minimum, to keep the advantage over their sister car. 31 points as opposed to Bamthor and Westy Briscoe. I can't make a cute nickname for them. Uh, they're back. To Westco. Westco. They're on. That sounds like a fuel station. Oh, Briscoe. Brisk no, that's no. <laughs> okay. uh, but they're six points behind, okay. so it it pretty much means that uh, Pele and Tandy will need to go to the banquet on Sunday.
2: Yeah, and second place still to be decided between the two you've mentioned. That's the same in the manufacturers with Porsche having already won the Michelin Endurance Cup, but uh, Chevy Corvette and Ford are tied for second position. Changing of the guard. Well, we'll find out perhaps at some stage during the weekend. Uh, a point about BMW.
3: The third drivers are very interesting selections too, because we've got Philip Ang and Colton Herta back in the two BMWs. But Ang and Herda were teammates with Di Filippi in the Daytona-winning car when Blomqvist wasn't there.
2: Ah, uh, yeah. So a diff- slightly different dynamic. Uh, still to come: prototypes, as Shea Adam and Major John look at the Motul Petrola for 2019. Lots of coverage across the weekend on RS2, the home of IMSA Radio.
0: Midweek Motorsport.
1: This
2: is RS1, part of the
1: Radio Show Limited Network.
2: Right, there'll be more from Shea uh, later on as we uh, preview Motul Petit Le Mans. As you can hear, I've stepped back outside of our little recording area. I'm going to try and pick off a couple of drivers while I wait for Lawrence Vanter, who's getting a photograph taken. Let's have a little bit more news for you. Uh, and news. Uh, in the UK, 8th and 9th of November is the Jim Clark Rally and I'm hearing from the British Motor Racing Marshals Club that they uh, would still like some volunteers for that, it's up in the Scottish borders, it's a fantastic event uh, on tarmac and if you want more details than that, get yourself to the uh, British Motor Racing Marshals uh, site uh, or onto the uh, MSA site, all the details are on there, there's a place that you can uh, Register particularly interested in those of you, and I know there's plenty of marshals listening to this show that are uh, have your radio certificate. So if you wouldn't mind doing that, 8th and 9th of November up in the Scottish borders. Lawrence Vantor, sorry, a bit of news is coming through there. Uh, thanks for joining us on Midweek Motorsport um, and welcome back to Atlanta. Um, I, I like this start of the week. This is a, a, a something that you guys have got to do, it's a, it's a PR function, but it's a nice way to connect with the, the, the staff here in, in North America who work so hard.
6: Yeah, honestly, for me personally, it's the most fun PR event we have in the year uh, because we come here to the Porsche Experience Centre and uh, we do some some cool stuff. You get to drive around the Experience Centre after each in our own car, which I don't know who came up with that idea to let us do that, but it's fun and uh, it's cool to be here and also to see you know, to interact with the people who we do all the, all the work on, uh, on the normal side.
2: And if we focus in on the weekend, then um, you've got yourself in a pretty good position this season, you and Earl. Uh, Macho, with you this weekend? Sort of semi-serious question here, but have you had to sit him down and calm him down? He's only been here a couple of times. Uh, no, we haven't really
6: spoken seriously about it with him, I think, uh, but... He's, well, he's still quite young, but he knows what to do. Uh, mm. I think he knows what what we expect, and we'll probably maybe go over it over the weekend, but I, I personally trust him 100%, and I know how it feels like, because mm. I I've, I've was in Lamar this year with Michael and Kevin on 92, where uh, it's also a big race, and they were also fighting for the championship, and I couldn't really afford to make mistakes, so... I know it's a weird position to be in. Uh, he's not
2: going to get a lot of time in the car this weekend. I don't suspect, is he?
6: Well, he's going to do I think uh, two, three stints in the race, right. so he's still going to do a fair, a fair deal. Obviously, the end is going to be going to be early on me. So I know it's a bit of a, a difficult position for him because we personally don't really care if we win or not. We want to, obviously, but the main thing is the championship. And you know, in the end, he he personally for himself would probably like to win the race, but that's 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 how it is. Uh, but I'm, I'm sure he. He knows what to do and it will be fine uh, but yeah it's not it's not always the easiest uh, thing to do i think
2: we're staring the end of the season in the face we're staring the end of the the race life of, of of the race car that you're driving this weekend this 17 the rsr 17 um when you look back on this season what's the highlights for you what sticks out particular either in your own performance or the other or team's performance
6: I hope I can answer the question again on uh, Saturday (laughs) evening and give you the answer Uh, no that would be for me personally that was my goal number one this year to to try and and conclude this story of me coming to America with Porsche uh, and you
2: asked to come here I mean you and I have talked about this before when we've done some of the dealer events you wanted to come and race in IMSA, didn't you?
6: yeah I wanted to come here Uh, I made a change uh, from, from Audi to Porsche like everybody knows three years ago coming to America and by winning this championship is kind of, uh, for me personally, uh, a confirmation that it, that it worked out well. Uh, that I came here and, and to be able to then hopefully win the championship is the goal. And uh, I always wanted to race in America because multiple reasons. And I, I don't regret it for a single second. Uh, I love I love it here. I love the tracks especially. Uh, also the environment, uh, the areas where we go to, the people and, and the championship. It's all... And that's a personal opinion, a bit more uh, raw, the racing. There's less less rules and uh, we're more free to do you know, what we
2: want. Uh. You've been quite enthusiastic but also quite vociferous about how you like the tracks over here, where there are consequences if you make mistakes, where you feel as a driver your skills are being tested.
6: Yeah, it's old-school tracks, uh, and that's the way I like them. There's no room for mistake, uh, which makes it more challenging to put on uh, good laps, and and if you do one mistake, you're punished. Best example is here last year, warm-up. I simply got cut out probably too early in the morning, uh, locked two front brakes, went straight and hit the wall. And even though that might sound strange, that's the way it should be, uh, because it's a sport, and I think by making mistakes, you somehow need to be punished, because that makes it more difficult and more of a challenge then. You're going to make that
2: mistake again are you? No we're not going to do warm up <laughs> this year
6: because we have to start the race to get the points so uh, <laughs> <not> <laughs> that's my bad or, but uh, yeah that's, that's, I love love tracks like Macau and Nürnberg and, and pretty much every race on the calendar in America um, those new Formula 1 tracks with supermarkets runoffs uh, it's not really my thing uh, so yeah that's why I like to be in America
2: It would be nice to give the 17 RSR uh, a win in this big race as a send-off, as you say, you don't need to do it. Uh, the other guys in the 911, they have to win the race to have any chance at all. And the, if, and I'm, I'm sorry to tell you this, but if it does go horribly wrong for you, there are enough cars in the class that they could nick the championship from you. Yeah, it's... It would be on count-back, because they would have four ra- wa- race wins to your, your three if they won the race and you finished last.
6: Yeah, we have to come seventh if they, if they win. So it's, it's difficult to... To decide what my feelings are because <laughs> we're, we're in a good position that's the truth uh, things have to go pretty badly wrong for us to lose but it's still possible it's not like that never happened before so we're kind of in between and I'm, I'm trying to take it as relaxed as, as we can in the end there the guys need to hunt us mm-hmm. we're in a more let's say relaxed position in that way and in the end you know it's going to happen how it's going to happen I'm not going to be able to change it uh, at the moment and we'll see how it goes but uh, yeah, that would be. I said to Earl, if if it doesn't work out, uh, you probably won't hear anything from me for the next three months.
2: But <laughs> <laughs> we'll tell me a little bit about this this bam thaw Teammates, uh, particularly in endurance racing, you spend a lot of time together. Uh, some of the great pairings down through the years have been exceptionally good and firm friends as well. You and Earl have. have, have got a brilliant friendship, you've combined your names in a brand now which is hashtag Bamthor, you've got t-shirts, you've got hats and all of that give us a little insight into that and and why that makes a difference to you guys when you go and compete.
6: It's actually a funny story from the beginning, the first time we raced each other was Macau 216 I obviously knew who he was but I never raced him and uh, I always thought he was a bit of a weirdo when I just (laughs) looked at him, I still do and uh, (laughs) Yeah, then the next year we I came to Porsche, and uh, well, the next year after we uh, we joined each other. And uh, I think from the start we always had a lot of respect for each other, uh, and we, we worked pretty well together. And we yeah, it took some time, obviously, for us to get to know each other, but we let's say bonded more and more together, and until we today uh, we have a very good friendship, also on and off track, especially often in the winter. I see Earl coming to my place for for dinner and see my wife and the kid and uh, I think that's important uh, and it's it's not that we force it to be like that no. obviously you want to be be in a good relationship with your teammates but this is uh, something also a bit more let's say natural um, and it's important because I think I almost see him as much as as my wife during the year so mm-hmm. it's better than you spend that time with somebody that you get along with good than point. somebody you don't and uh, but it's not it's not like we're uh, never having a discussion. I think last race, I uh, pretty much told him, <laughs> beep, 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 after the discussion we had. And and he does the same for me, because we disagreed on something. But an hour later, everything, everything's fine. And, and I think that's the way, that's the way it should be. It Isn't
2: it better to be like that, though, than have something sitting in a corner somewhere in the darkness? You need to get it out there and need to understand how your partner, whether it's your wife or your driving partner, how they're going to react to it.
6: Yeah, sure. It's you know we we don't always agree on everything. Uh, you never do with somebody on the whole planet. Uh, my wife, I don't necessarily agree on everything either, anyway. <laughs> uh, so it's the same same with with Earl and any friendship. And I think it's uh, it's important to get it out and to get it sorted. And uh, and I think that that's what we do. And, and like I said, the the most important thing we have is the respect between each other. Uh, I obviously uh, want to be quicker than him, and he just wants to be quicker than me. It's not a secret, but we. We take that as on, a, on a fun side and there's no hard or hate feelings if uh, one of the other are, is beating each other.
2: It's been a great year for Porsche and for the four of you over here. I've had a brilliant time working with you guys. Thank you very much for all the help you've given us. Best of luck this weekend. I'll say exactly the same to Tandy and Pele. <laughs> you know I will. Mainly, bring the car home and be safe. Thank you very much. Thanks, Lawrence Vanto there, uh, with a big smile on his face. Let's see who else we can grab. Before they disappear. Well, why don't I grab the other side of the uh, the the Bam Thor uh, relationship? Just talking with uh, a Jamini. Come round from behind there, so I don't have to stretch stretch over. I'm getting old now, Earl. So Earl Bamba. come on out. We'll stand uh, we'll stand over here by this Porsche in carmine red. Very nice. I like that. Always been a favourite colour of mine. That GTS red. Well, I've, I've just talked to the Thor part. So here's the Bam. Uh, the the relationship, uh, he says he thought you were a bit weird when he first raced against you, and he still thinks you're a bit weird. What did you think of him then when you guys first got together as, as racing partners?
4: No, I mean, I already already, oh, sorry, already sorry, and always uh, had a big respect from him. He was one of the quickest drivers, uh, no one around the world, so uh, to be able to team him up with him when he was joining Porsche was one of my requests to, to join, and I think uh, now we... We see some uh, fruit from that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, um, sharing a car together, uh, we've got a good crew on our car, engineering-wise and stuff like that. And I think uh, we work really well together. I think because we ex- uh, we respect each other, um, we work well together in terms of coaching. Uh, we rely a lot on each other to help get the most out of uh, the both of us on a race weekend. So um, yeah, it works really, really well. And. Like I said, it's been a great season. Um, let's Apart from
2: it. the last race, let's be honest, for both Porsches, uh, whether Tech Race or Laguna Seca, wasn't the high point, was it?
4: No, but, I mean... Do you know why? No. Um, we have some theories about it. Um, yeah, we have some ideas and some theories about it, but uh, not to be concluded. But, I mean, in terms of... We didn't have pure pace, but if you look at our decisions that we made on the car and our strategy and stuff like that Mm -hmm. we were still happy Mm -hmm. and you know we still beat the sister car there by quite some considerable margin uh, even though we had a tyre failure in the race Mm -hmm. um, which I think we lost 20 seconds from tyre failure so um, and let's face it the Tandy and Pele are a good driver pairing so when you can beat them then you're still doing a good job even though we were sort of at the back there so like i said during the year we've been pretty happy with all the decisions that we've made um you know the way we've set the car up um all that sort of stuff so we've got some good momentum um we've got you know good atmosphere within our boys on the team as well good Mm -hmm. atmosphere in the engineering crew it's good to have jam jam back so all in all i think it's been a good year and you know, with this racing was so close, you can't expect to win every single race. Otherwise, that would be a little bit too easy, wouldn't it? No, absolutely right. And it's,
2: There's been good competition uh, this year. The Ferrari looks like it's going to be quick uh, this weekend. If we bring you back to this weekend, healthy lead the championship. Start the race, you're pretty much, you're pretty much there. Uh, I think if your teammates win, you've got to be seventh. Uh, the mathematics or arithmetic, at least, have already been done. I, I asked uh, Lawrence this about high points in the year, and he said... Ask me on Saturday night, and I'll ask you the same question, you probably give me the same answer, but is there something so far in the season, either with your own performance or the team performance, that has stood out where you go, yeah, that's what I'm talking about?
7: Um,
4: yeah, there was actually there was a couple. Um, I think a really critical one in the season was actually Road America, mm-hmm. where we, we struggled for pace all weekend, but on our car we still managed to nab a third. I think that was uh, something pretty critical in the, in the championship race. That was uh, And sometimes a third sounds like, oh, well, you know, it's two off the front. But that no, but day, that, you worked really hard together. Yeah, that's what I mean. We worked really hard. We you had about a fifth-place car that day, didn't you? Oh, I think we had a sixth or a seventh-place <laughs> car. Yeah, honestly, it was looking like a seventh and eighth. Um, mm. And we, you know, Lawrence did a great job to qualify, I think, much further up the grid mm. than what we ever should have. And then we managed to basically race it. Much higher up the the grid than what we should have, and we nabbed a third. So, um, you know, I think that was a real high point. Mossport was a good one for us as well, uh, strategy wise, and uh, also pace in the race. So those couple, I can still think of definitely a few that we could have done a lot better, and uh, should have had the championship already wrapped up by Laguna Seca. But Mm. um, that's some few points for next year to work on. Um, But you know, all in all, it's been a great season to get three wins so far as well. Um, has been Interesting you said there that, that those high
2: points were all team efforts, and that's been so important with you and Lawrence in the car, with the way you've split the duties between you, but also with the guys behind you as well.
4: Yeah, I mean, um, like I said, we also had a, an engineering crew change this year as mm-hmm. well, um, and that's definitely brought a, a completely different dynamic. Um, you know, Irish on the car, I knew him from V8 supercars, um, actually annoyed me in v8 supercars last year the whole time because he kept doing these jammy strategies and getting <laughs> lousy. and uh, steve richards always to the front um but you know he's definitely bought a different angle from a different racing series um a different style to the team as well and i think our strategy has been pretty good as well mm. um so you know it definitely is a team effort i think if me and him try to do the strategy we like to think that we're experts on the strategy <laughs> sometimes and Manages to to piss them all off afterwards to say yeah of course wasn't it obvious but um, you know you got to trust the guys in the timing stand and, and we definitely do trust the guys in the timing stand about what they're doing as well
2: yeah but you have been doing a bit of strategy because your race team's been doing rather well started off the the air pretty well and has continued uh, throughout the the season how much are you able to or how much do you have to almost flick a switch between I'm a Porsche factory driver to, oh, I'm the bloke is
4: on this racing team? I don't know, I think they might, they probably hate me and Visor as a team owner, I always complain about stuff, um, but I guess that's what you have to do as a team owner is watch the, the dollars and cents and complain about stuff. Um, but, you know, to drive a car is actually like a holiday, um, coming here and, and it's uh, been relaxing, but honestly it's quite a good education, um, learn a lot more about business, a lot more about managing people and stuff like that. And honestly, you can bring those skills. It does have some benefits uh, driving the car as well, because you can empathize with the guys. You can empathize with the team more um, on many, many different points and understand from their perspective as well, um, because we sort of end up in a bubble as a set of drivers and you don't see the other side or the I see very much the other side, which I think it does make you a stronger driver because you can get a bigger global picture. So um, there's, some, there's some pros and cons. Sometimes it's great, sometimes it's horrible, but uh, all in all, that's a, it's a good experience. You're not going to leave the driving anytime soon, though, are you? No, 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 definitely not. I'm still quite young. I've still got a good 10, 15 years in me, don't I? Good, I'm pleased to hear that. What can you tell us about next year? Um, the, the partnership works. Is there any reason to change it? Not your decision, I know. I'll say, I'll say that. No, I mean, uh, from my point of view, no, I'd love to just keep it uh, copy-paste, change the car on copy-paste, that would be good. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, they never officially announce anything until Night of Champions, Um, but yeah, that would be my intention, I enjoy it here. Um, You know, I really love American racing, it's been awesome with uh, Lawrence as well, Mm -hmm. so it would be awesome to continue that partnership. and see what we can do this weekend but obviously to continue to hunt for more race wins we get to do all the other big races in the year as well so mm-hmm. obviously we're going to Macau together we're going to Kiel Army together as well oh, so really? that's going to
3: cool.
4: yeah that's announced already yeah. um, we also want to try to Bathurst so trying to get money together if anyone knows of not in your in. car clearly yeah in my car
2: Oh, so hang on so you and Larry in the El Bamba Motorsport car at the 12 Hours of Bathurst that would be the plan if we get
4: enough money to get them to do it yeah Oof. right and then spa in the car as well yeah that would be my that would be that, that would be really cool that would be cool right yeah but then you couldn't be team manager as well you'd have to leave that to your bro. exactly yes. so he'd do that and yeah. then uh then we'd try race it and go for the win love it so um yeah that would be that would be pretty cool um all dreams and planning. So <laughs> I was actually playing with my... I drove my, my own race car for the first time properly the other week. So, more, spend more time about how much it might cost me touching stuff.
2: I was going to say that, but I bet that gives you a different uh, idea from behind the wheel. You talked about Bathurst there. It's a great race this weekend.
4: Uh, whilst we're racing, there's a little bit of an overlap, but not too much. Are you going to be able to take a bit of that in? Yeah, definitely. I was uh, having a bit of banter with, um, with Roland. Um, Roland Dean, that is, Triple F, yeah. Yeah, asking if he's actually going to manage to win a race this year and, and get it going. But, uh, no, they've had, a, they've had a hard year. Um, mm-hmm. But I definitely miss it. It's such an awesome race. It's such an awesome atmosphere down there as well. I learn a huge amount from Shane as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I know he's keen to try come back over this part of the world and uh, give a few of the big ones a crack. Um, so, yeah, definitely miss it.
2: Who are you tipping for this weekend? There's a couple of really
4: stellar driving squads, aren't there? yeah. Um, I mean, you can't count out Lounsey, can you? Because he's just—he's just a legend there, and uh, you know, super th- nice bloke as well. He could easily be a complete you nor know what, and he so isn't. Yeah, no, he's super, super nice. Um, you know, one of the role models of the sport. Um, you know, Shane and Tanda will be will be quick. Um, then there's obviously the Penske cars. Mm-hmm. Um, I think can't tip out Scotty there as well, mm-hmm. um, and then probably Reynolds. They always had a strong car around there. Um, so especially with the spring changes and the regulation changes over there I think they'll still be strong because I think they ran the linear last year I would Mm -hmm. guess Um, so yeah I think they'll be strong
5: Wish
2: you all the best for this weekend as I said to Lawrence I'll be saying exactly the same to to Pele and Tandy as well because we don't pay favourites but I'll also say the same as I said thank you for all the stuff that we've done together this year I've had a cracking year really enjoyed it good race, safe race at the weekend Thank you Cheers. That's uh, El Bamba uh, joining us here on Midweek Motorsport. Um, we'll grab the two uh, substantive drivers from uh, from the 911 in a little while. The two third drivers, we've got some exclusive content with them to come in our Michelin Countdown to Green. Before the race on Saturday, as we'll look at our Porsche keys to the race uh, and that is, uh, and those two drivers. So Fedmark, Vecchi uh, and uh, Mathieu Jaminier uh, will be part of Countdown to Green. But whilst we're here at one Porsche drive, OPT, Dave Engelman has joined us. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. I don't know what time it is in the world. Never mind. Hello. Greetings. Greetings. <laughs> Good morning. How are you? I- I'm very well indeed. I'm very well indeed. What a season. What a season for Porsche.
8: It's really hard to explain if you look at what happened here in IMSA and where we're going here in a couple of days and also wrapping up WEC. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it started already, but if you look back on mm-hmm. last year, which is kind of our world still, it's been a hell of a year for Porsche. Now, we were here a couple of weeks ago, it seems only like yesterday, for the
2: unveiling of the Coca-Cola livery on the car. That has gone absolutely bonkers i mean we knew it would we're guys of an age that remember the cars the first time but it's not just our generation it's not even just the next it's the next generation beyond that this has gone gangbusters
8: it's like a perfect dream right so everybody it isn't targeted for old new young whatever it's really gone crazy and um i spoke to bobby aiken last night and he said thousands of people have reached out to him Mm -hmm. over what has been done um not just what we did but the whole picture it's Everybody has been blown away. So it's been uh, a great thing for us. It's been a great thing for Coca-Cola. I know they're very pleased, and we're looking at doing some things together, you know, continuing their relationship that has been built here. And um, so everybody has their fingers crossed, um, not only for this weekend, um, but for the future. Do do I detect as well that locally, because obviously Porsche HQ here,
2: Coca-Cola HQ here in Atlanta, do I detect that there's been... uh, I think it was described as wearing the hometown jersey this weekend at your home race. Do I detect that there's been a little bit of local interest? People have gone, oh, right, okay. Oh, that makes sense.
8: Very much. So, like, there's billboards in town. Yeah. Um, There's all sorts of cross-promotional things that have gone on between our dealerships and Coca-Cola. And, um, you know, even if it doesn't go anywhere, it's Mm -hmm. been an amazing, you know, uh, thing for the city of Atlanta, and I think people now recognize what's going on here at Road Atlanta. You know, not too far away, um, where maybe it wasn't on anybody's radar before. So uh, the power of Coke is is big. Um, <laughs> the power but, of Porsche is big, Dave. Well, I'll give you that. Then you that too, and um, both being here, you know, ten miles apart, and coming together to do the stuff. It's uh, it's been a great a little experiment or experience, and um, we'll see. So we
2: said a fantastic year for Porsche, both in the WEC and here. Uh, last race of IMSA at the weekend but then the work starts again because the new car is being tested at Road Atlanta
8: directly in the early part of, of next week there really isn't an off season now is there? There hasn't been for a couple of years um, but yes Monday morning they're back at it with the the new car so um, nope there isn't an off season anymore it just literally goes from one to the other if you look at the WC schedule you know coming up finish at Le Mans mm. and right at it and yeah. um, you know which is crazy if you think about it but um but that's business, that's the world we're in, and, um, you know, it still beats having a real job.
2: <laughs> yes. yeah, We have managed to get away with it for quite a few yeah, years yeah.
8: between us, Dave, to be quite
2: honest. Um, end of an era for your car at the weekend, for that iteration of the car. It's the end of another season, and Scott Atherton leaving IMSA as well, being massively instrumental in my time here uh, and in yours in, in this series. I suspect it would be fair to say that I think he's, le- he's leaving IMSA in a better state than he, than he found it um, when he and Don went together in those early, early days. Um, IMSA's in a good place at the moment.
8: Um, whoever steps in, he's, he's going to have big shoes to fill. I would agree. Scott's been amazing, um, not only as a spokesperson for IMSA and before that with the American Lamar series, but bringing the two series together. Mm-hmm. Um, he will be missed. There is no question. Um, I've never met anybody that is as eloquent and poised on a stage. Um, to present state of the series or mm-hmm. anything else that he does, so he will definitely be missed. Um, I'm very happy to hear they'll still be involved at least from, you know, the board side and the relationship side with the ACO. So that's really that's a very important thing. Um, but it's been a crazy year for the whole IMSA the 50th anniversary mm-hmm. um, him retiring it's a well earned and well-deserved mm-hmm. retirement and um, I'm very happy and proud to see that he'll be able to do that um, so many of our colleagues sometimes don't get to at least no. on their own terms good so um, I'm pleased that that'll happen and uh, you know is uh, as strong as I've ever seen it in, yeah. in 20 years and, and it's a good place to be now in sports cars here
2: um, cyclical we've been around long enough to know that as well um rules changes coming but i think that's been managed very well in the in the in the top class um that seems to be going along well that will be one of scott's uh, great achievements as well bringing in 2.0 when that comes in a couple of, of of years time as far as
8: 2020 is concerned everything under control and looking good for porsche new cars coming And, you know, business as usual, if you want to say so, Mm. Uh, again, starting Monday with testing and we lead right into 2020. And your customers as well? Yes. So from the Porsche Motorsport North America side of things, yes. There we have some meetings going on this weekend as far as laying out some of the last little crossing your T's and dotting your I's. Um, But yes, the customer side as well.
2: With some new models coming in as well, um, being brought in in the last year and continuing to to come through. Dave, it's always a pleasure being here. Thanks very much indeed for for having us. And um, we'll see you at the track of the weekend. Right yeah, thanks for coming to our little home. <laughs> <laughs> OPT he's little. You got to find me a desk here somewhere. I could be very happy. I could be very very happy. <laughs> he doesn't want me spoiling things around here. Uh, you're listening to <laughs> the the loud Brit. I'm not sure I'd quite fit in here, but it, yeah, really just listen. Listen to the midweek motorsport We're on a special here in the run-up to Motul Patilamon and instead of dashing back to the track to do this show today, we're down at uh, one Porsche drive, OPD you've heard us talk about, a little bit of IndyCar news uh, coming in as well, um, which uh, was about a, a new and an additional car for Chip Ganassi uh, Racing uh, you've probably picked this up, uh, we'll get Jeremy Short to talk about it uh, over the uh, weekend, as... Uh, uh, Marcus Eriksson, is uh, the Swedish driver uh, is confirmed to Ganassi for the full season, uh, third full driver, uh, and uh, that was uh, reported uh, early hours. Of this morning, I think it was maybe late last night. So that's a little bit more news. I'm going to get Curry to play another one of those trails so I can uh, move away. We'll get the 911 drivers uh, in a little while here on Midweek Motorsport. Don't forget the two third drivers on uh, the Michelin Countdown to Green on Saturday morning. The race on Saturday morning, Curry. If you can uh, play me another uh, another one of the. Uh, promos please uh, and then we'll get she to do the last bit of she's sitting in a quiet room so I'll uh, go back in there and we'll get uh, we'll get Shea to do the last bit of the, uh, the preview for Motul Patilamont which is all about the prototypes
1: The RS Travel Club is the best way to get to the biggest motorsport events.
0: Ready-made packages or bespoke itineraries for Le Mans, Daytona, Sebring, the Nürburgring, Spa, and Bathurst, and many more. We've got them all covered, so you can be there.
1: Accommodation, flights, ferries, trains, and the all-important race tickets.
0: Our travel partners are APTA and Atoll bonded, so you can book with confidence.
1: Start planning your trip today. The RS Travel Club at RadioLamont.com.
2: We'll finish off our look at the Mortal Petit Lamont this weekend uh, with Share Adam with the prototypes. Let's do the DPI. Actually, let's do LMP2. Still only two entries, unfortunately.
3: But. The championships don't all go the way <laughs> of one car which is pretty fun we've got young matthew mcmurray and yes he will forever be young matthew yes. mcmurray who will take the championship as soon as the green flag falls and his car is seeing it i should say uh because he has an eight point advantage over cameron castles in the lmp2 but if we go to the imsa michelin endurance cup it goes the way of cameron castles and kyle masson they right. have the points lead and it is insurmountable right
2: okay uh dpi before we start talking about this weekend the news um we're hearing about next year we reported on this program a few weeks ago that we knew that the number 31 wheel and engineering cadillac was coming back um they were uh they renewed wheel and engineering renewed uh Menasse. NASA uh, confirmed for next year. Eric Curran, by the way, joins them uh, this weekend. It's not uh, so good news for the other car in Action Express, Mustang Sampling. That deal, also up at the end of this season, has not yet been uh, uh, renewed, which leaves Philippe Albuquerque, Joao Barbosa, with perhaps some time on their hands, unless the rumour is that Philippe might go into the 31 car to help out with the longer races. Mike Conway, by the way, joins that car, the number five car this weekend.
3: Philippe has been confirmed in the 31 car, so he will be joining them. So they will still be able to speak Portuguese amongst themselves, uh, which is very useful. But yeah, the, the rumblings had been such in the paddock that Mustang Sampling, the main sponsor, was willing to bring money again, but not as much money as they had in the past.
2: Uh, The other car that we don't know the fate about, uh, and by the way, I should say, everybody at Action Express working very, very hard to keep that car in the championship. This is not Action Express saying we're not doing it, but it's a business for them, and they need a commercial sponsor. And if Mustang Sampling aren't going to bring the full budget, maybe there's an opportunity to do something with someone else, and I'm sure those talks are going on. And again, that's not me speaking for the team. I'm speculating on that. Uh, The other car that we don't know the fate of for for next year for 2020 is Yunkos Racing they've been missing for quite a lot of this year after the big accident at CTMP Will Owen Rene Binder and Spencer Piggott listed in that car this weekend
3: but how well does it bode that they have worked tirelessly to bring a new chassis to Mm -hmm. Petit Le Mans they are using this race not as a shakedown they've already done their shakedown test as we talked about last week at a small track outside of Indianapolis that Tim Gray knew of that Mm. I had never heard of before Um, but they have put blood sweat and tears into this new car to prove that they can play with the big boys and that they still do want to be in the top class of IMSA competition this is an advertising board for what they can do and this is them saying hey we're going to be at Daytona Mm -hmm. bring your drivers to us because guess what we're competitive and we have a shot at this.
2: Right as far as let's uh, go through before we talk about the championship let's go through um, any interest in there there are 11 DPI's a uh, few people adding uh, drivers. What have what have you noticed?
3: Can I can I just be silly for a minute mm-hmm. and name you off the third drivers that are joining mm-hmm. the DPI class? Mm-hmm. Mike Conway in yeah. the Mustang Sampling Cadillac. Simon Pashnow and Graham Rahal in the Acuras. You've got Matthew Vauxvier who, if you haven't heard of him, go back and watch the 12 Hours of Bathurst from this year and you will know his name. By And Lamont as well. And Lamont. You've got Eric Curran, two-time champion. Spencer Piggott joining in Juncos. He's the one out in that group. Romain Dumas, Olivier Pla, Timo Bernard, uh, Chris Miller, and Juan Petrujita. They're mm. the extra drivers.
2: Petrajita really impressed Jeremy and I the last yeah. time. Uh, he was in the JDC Miller Motorsports number uh, 85 car. That's a, that's a stellar lineup of of drivers and proves how seriously uh, drivers all around the world are taking Daytona, Daytona Prototype International and Motul. Um, as far as the championship is concerned, uh, is this finally, finally, finally going to be Acura and Team Penske's year? And I say finally, finally, I, I mean, we're, we're, they're only, this is the third year of their, second year of their of their commitment. But everybody thought there would be a more potent force last year. Surely this has got to be there yet.
3: Yeah? Uh, yes, yes, you would think so. Uh, they've got a 12-point advantage over and Engineering who never give up, by Mm, the way. It will be Pippo Durrani's birthday, race day. Um, By the way, also Bill Oberlin, so Mm -hmm. happy birthday to both of them. But they never say die. They're second in the IMSA Michelin Endurance Championship. They're second in the overall championship. And out of all the cars on our grid that have irked the competitors – that six has a big target on it. Mm-hmm. When it gets dark, things happen at Petite. <laughs> and if I am those drivers, I'm going to be fairly nervous about all the people who perhaps no longer have a chance to win the race who are out for a little bit of vengeance. Okay,
2: but a payback then, potentially. Yeah. We need to look out uh, in the darkness. Um, so, uh, Dick Cameron, Juan Montoya, 274 to 262 uh, with the uh, Nasa and... Current lineup, ah,
8: sorry, that's sure. a, and Durrani and
2: Durrani li- lineup, yes, thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, manufacturers, Acura has a seven-eight point lead over Cadillac.
3: Done, okay. that's done.
2: Uh, Mazda, the we, we can't we can't not talk about Mazda though after the great second half of the season that they have had. Uh, obviously, didn't get the result last time out, but. I mean, this is this is a longer race. They will want to show they can do it in the longer races as well. And there's no bigger race other than at the start. I mean, our our three our four long races, but the th- the three longest of the long races are all Blue band events. And to finish off this season strongly for John Doonan for the Mazda team, Yost a keep would be absolutely the way they want to finish off.
3: And they were second and third here last year. People forget that. Exactly. It was a huge result. Okay, it was helped by the fact that Philippe Albuquerque ran out of fuel coming Mm -hmm. out of turn nine, effectively, on the last lap. But still, they crossed the line in second and third. So they're looking for that win. They want another one-two on the season. The last time out was their first non-podium since beginning of june Mm -hmm. that's an impressive run for mazda Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the other thing i just have seen a couple of people on the internet who were naysaying about the fact that the other mazda won a race because they've had the 55 win two and the 77 won one Mm -hmm. there were some people saying well bomarito would be further ahead in points if they had just let him win Mm -hmm. all three of them uh no that would have been a three-point swing which would have meant that he would only be eight points behind the other acura It doesn't make a difference. Both driver teams are tied on points right now. They're just going for pride at this point, and they just want to win to prove, as you said, that they can do it. Uh,
2: Olivia Platt back in the 55, as you mentioned, uh, and it's Timo Bernard in the 77. Olivia Platt in the new and improved Mazda, that's going to be something, something to watch. I'm really looking forward to that. That records will go. We know they will. But Platt in that car, we know how quick Ollie is.
3: At Road Atlanta. Yes, exactly. That's the important part, because he won this race Mm -hmm. in 2016 with Michael Shank Racing. Mm -hmm. And he was phenomenal to watch back then. So, yeah, he's driven the new car, uh, got the win, of course, at Watkins Glen in the six-hour race. So they have won endurance races before with this trio. It's Harry Tinknell's first time. Running Petit Le Mans because he's been in the WEC contest Good point. So he's a rookie to this one. So I, I think we need to do some razzing of him during this week. Uh, just give him a bit of grief from that. So
2: Jay bomb or Ollie Platt to qualify then?
3: Ollie, you got to get the claw. So. Oh yeah, he's a beast around Road Atlanta. He's not afraid. I think he goes flat through the S's.
2: That could be very interesting to watch and listen. To. And you can watch and listen, of course, because qualifying for the Motul Petit Le Mans IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship Race. Uh, We'll be live in Sound and Vision, no blocks, no breaks, uh, via uh, imsa.tv and, of course, at radio-show.co.uk. We've got plenty of coverage this weekend, lots of it with Vision as well. Check the website for details. This isn't a midweek motorsport, special in the week running up to Motul Petit Le Mans. The race is Saturday, the 10th of October, Saturday. I say this every year and still people forget Saturday the 10th of October check local de- listings for details
0: Midweek Motorsport
2: Right so now you know all about the Motul Patil Amon thank you to share for that uh, let's finish up our time here at One Porsche Drive OPT uh, we haven't spoken to the 911 drivers yet Nick Tandy is here welcome back uh, another Another end of the season. The season's rattled by three wins, championship under your belt already for the Michelin endurance part. Yeah, I think
7: so. Um, I think we've got to score about three or four points. Actually, it's right, still okay. it's still open. Right, I think okay. there's six there's six cars that can uh, that can still mathematically win the endurance cup. Right. We've got a we've got a lead of five points, I think, and um, there's a maximum three point differential at each stage. Right. So. As I work out, we need, what's that, four four points total.
2: Will that be part... Now, the serious question here. Will that be part of the strategy? We've seen teams, particularly in GTD, and Cher was saying earlier on about how Bill Riley is the king of that uh, with the, the AMG. Could that potentially affect strategy to get you ahead uh, of some of those competitors at the, at, the, at the appropriate time and then gather it all back together for the run of their flag?
7: It could do, yeah. You know, especially the four-hour mark because... You know, you're never going to. No team's going to do something that's going to completely screw their yeah the whole race. But um, you know, if there's a potential caution brewing, or you know, you might want to stretch a couple of fuel loads to try and make it to the four-hour mark before you pit. It's um, it's something that we'll think about. Obviously, by the time you get to the eight-hour mark, which is the other intermediate scoring point, it's uh, everything's going to be worked from the the, from the end of the race backwards Mm. already by then. So. But yeah, by the, sort of the first mark, it, it might come into into play. Obviously, if we're um, if if the cars are quick and we're competitive, then it should take care of itself. But uh, you know, GTLM is GTLM, and uh, you never know how how quick each manufacturer is going to be uh, track to track. Atlanta has typically been one of our stronger circuits. And you have tested here a couple of weeks ago, didn't you? You, you did a, a test with the current car. Yeah, we were here and Ford were here. Uh, I don't know if the other marks have been testing before now, but um, it was good. We had a couple of days. Uh, it was super hot conditions, mm. so I think it's a bit unrepresentative of uh, of race week, let's say, but um, but yeah, it was good to, to be here. We had all six drivers here, mm. um, so it was good to get you know in tune with the track. It means that perhaps some of the you know, the practice sessions, we can focus a bit more on car develop, development, development, tyre choice wise, rather than sort of getting cycling through all the drivers and getting driving time. Yeah. you um, got Fred Mako back with you this weekend. We'll hear from him
2: on the countdown to green on Saturday. Spoken to him and uh, Jam Jam at the uh, the Hennessy dealer evening on Tuesday. It seems a million years ago already. Um, known
7: quantity. And,
2: you know, you, you Plugging a guy like that into a team, no real problems.
7: Yeah, exactly. Freddie's the you know the ideal third driver for us, if you like, for the endurance stuff. He he knows the car inside out. He's been racing it for a, you know a lot of years. He was obviously part of the development team with the rest of us when we were developing the car. Um, you know, and he's a he's a proper endurance sports car guy. He, you know, you, you don't need to worry about. Um, him having to learn the races, learn the race tracks, he obviously did a full season over here with imsa with us back in two thousand and sixteen, so he knows the rules, he knows the cars, he knows the competition, and you know you, you can see from the results that we 've had the last couple of years um, with him in these long races that it, it, it works so yeah it 's great to have him back uh, the last time we we raced together was in imsa was at Sebring so uh, and that didn 't turn out too badly no it didn 't it didn't I, after starting pretty bloody awfully quite
2: frankly then came together as far as the championship's concerned it's an outside chance of you winning the championship Porsche have won the manufacturers, tick, fantastic um, you and your teammates in the 9-1-2 now competitors but you've had a great season, three victories for each of the teams you guys have been the longer distance specialist if you, if you like so perhaps that's an advantage to you this weekend, where in the season do you think, ah that's where we we'll let them get that gap. That was the race where it didn't go right for us. Is the one point like that, or is it a, a culmination of little things?
7: Um, I think it's fair to say, like you say, we've we've scored points in the longer races. If you take out um, Virginia mm. um, and the the twelve guys have typically typically been better in the in the short races, and, and that's the majority of our season. That yes. takes up the bulk of the season. You kind of have Daytona and Sebring as you kind of look at them as individual events rather than sort of looking at points and then by the time you get into the summer and you you go through the you know the the four or five sort of two hour 40 races that we have that's when that's when the big points are scored quickly as well and that's i mean road america was was the point in time that i look at where that's when the points gap got large because we gambled on a strategy that never paid out and uh i think we finished last and, and they were on the podium um Neither of the cars had a great deal of, of pace that
2: weekend, and sometimes those are the races that you've got to get the best out of, and, and they got a better result than you. Was it as simple as that, or did you, did you make some, some choices that perhaps now, 2020 hind, hindsight of course, perhaps now you go, ah, damn it. Well, yeah, exactly. Or words to that effect.
7: <laughs> yeah, there were, there were three cars that went on one strategy, and there was uh, five that went on, a, on an opposing and uh, the three cars on one finished first, second and third. So, yeah. you know, if perhaps if we'd, well, definitely if we'd followed um, the sister car, you know, even if we were we were behind them at the time and we, say we didn't have a pace advantage, we still would have been only two points behind yeah. if we'd have finished fourth. So there was a big gap in the points created there, but uh, it could have worked the other way around, of course. Mm-hmm. That's why we love endurance racing. You've yeah. got all this open strategy, yeah. this teamwork involved. And uh, we accept the good days, and, and and we accept the bad days. And to be fair to you know, to be fair to the team, we've had a car in good position, even if we haven't been strong on pace. At least one car in position yes. at, at all points. And it's you know, it's that that teamwork and a, and a having two cars that are able to um, to to always be competitive and, and be there or thereabouts. Not always the fastest, mind you. And, and you know, we in our Michelin Post Race Tech Show.
2: I love the fans of IMSA because they're tremendously tribal and particularly the Corvette fans and the BMW fans and the Porsche fans and the Ford fans, but they're, they're all tribal. But, you know, apparently it's been handed to you guys on a plate this
7: year because of the BOP. I think if you actually go back and look through um, a lot of the, or the majority of the races we've won, we, we weren't the fastest car on track. Um, there's, there's a point of being fast on one lap or, or and being consistent over a stint and obviously it's you've got to, you've got to have a faultless team performance. When when you've got this close racing, yes at times we've had the fastest car. Mm-hmm. Virginia for example, we went there and our tire combination and the car worked super well. Still got to deliver it though, mid. We qualified in the poll and yeah, we we went through two cars, no issues, no mistakes, and we finished first and second. But places like uh where have we been watkins or or Mm -hmm. sebring you know we managed to get out front through strategy and and just hang on Mm -hmm. basically and and won those races so people can can say oh you know porsche have had a the the fastest car all year it's it's true at some places but but not true others and it's I, a, a lot of the, the die-hard fans can see that the team is make, has made the difference this year. The reliability of the car um. When first started coming here if you made a mistake
2: or two it would probably cost you a chance of the win Now if you make a mistake or two you're not even going to be anywhere near the podium You absolutely have to be clean No mistakes, no contact no penalties nothing in
7: the pit lane You just can't afford it, can you? No, you can't it's, it, it but that's how it should be somebody it's, will have a good competition. competition yeah it's, it's great competition and uh, it, it means the whole team is involved you know it's mm. if anybody everybody knows that they've got to be perfect on pit lane in the in the workshop on prep before we come out getting the car set up and of course the drivers you know driving mistake-free races but uh, that's why we love it it's competition and it's fun
2: Congratulations on a championship that you have already run with Joe Tandy Racing back in the UK in the Porsche Carrera Cup GB. Um, still got a, a race to come there, of course, at Brands Hatch. But congrats! I loved the gold roof in between the first race and the second race when you got. Now that, that's a that's a throwback to your roots, isn't it?
7: Yeah, the um, the champion in in the UK stock car racing scene gets to wear a gold roof for the. For the following season and um, it was actually the idea of one of my um, one of the guys in the team that uh, that if Dan Daniel Harper who won the championship for us at Silverstone a couple of weeks back um, if he won it early we'd we'd put a, a gold roof and a, and a gold bonnet on so we had the stuff prepared ready to go nice. hoping that he'd get it done in the first race and we could surprise him whilst he'd gone to lunch and changed the bonnet and wrap the roof and, uh, and, and yeah, did he it? Get really it. did he get it did he get the significance of it uh, yes, yeah, absolutely, and it, you know it's it's a normal thing. It's gold for the for the first place driver, so uh, everybody appreciated. it. But it meant you know it was it was it meant something especially to me. Yeah, I, I'm sure it did. It was a lovely
2: touch, and I, I saw that and immediately. You know what I was thinking about because you were thinking about it as well. But let's move past that. Good luck for the weekend. Thank you very much for all your hard work with us this year. It's been really good. I've enjoyed it. We've had some good fun. We have. Let's do it all again next year and do we know when will we know United champions
7: uh i would imagine so yeah yeah. Uh, i can't see see much changes for my for my program uh, i've been with Porsche a little while now and i think um yeah they they really um they value the the work and the championship and what IMSA does over here with sports car racing in america so um yeah, they'll, they'll. I'm sure they'll. There'll be a big support from from Porsche to go go racing again in 2020, all over the world.
2: Race well, race safely at the weekend, Nick. Thanks very much indeed. Thank you. So, last of the permanent drivers. Thank you, Nick. Ah. Uh, is Nick's teammate, Patrick Pilet. Looking forward to this this weekend, Patrick.
9: Yeah, a lot. I mean, it, it was a long season and uh, it's always exciting to arrive to, to the last race and uh, have a chance to to win uh, many titles. So it's, uh, yeah, I can wait to, to be in the
2: car now and the race starts. It's a long start. It's a bit like Le Mans in some respects. Petit Le Mans is, a, is the right name for it because it's a long start to the week. But this is a fun event to kick things off here at uh, OPT.
9: Yeah, I mean, it's one of my favourite favorite track, favorite race. I mean, it's a a great event. It's a really tough race uh, to win here. You need everything. You need a perfect uh, crew in the the pit. Um, A really good strategy Mm -hmm. uh, because it's a 10-hour race and uh, there is a lot of strategy going on. Also for the Endurance Cup, uh, you have to be in front at the right moments. And uh, it's super challenging for drivers. I mean, this track is uh, so difficult and so easy to make mistakes and to... Have big damage on the car, so you have to be concentrated for for the full
2: race. Being so close, as I was sent to Nick just there with the 912, with the 912, this year, he said maybe Road America was where it got away from you a, a little bit. They got the third, and, and you guys were further back. That's where the points gap came uh, to the level that is going to make it difficult for you to to win this weekend uh, is it is it fair to sort of point out that one race or has it just been a couple of things across the year you've been good in the long distance races in fitness
9: yeah i mean for me it's more an addition of many things uh if you take also daytona we, we are fighting uh, in front we are leading the race for a long time and on the race we have a crash and uh, we didn't manage to get a lot of points and um, so we lose quite precious points there there is many occasion we we lose points and uh, have to say 912 was better on the difficult races when the car was not easy and uh, yeah Road America was a difficult weekend bad quali bad. That strategy, because we gamble, uh, missing some performance uh, on one lap, so we gamble on uh, yellow and never came. This year was quite crazy with the yellows because uh, we have many races with full green races. Mm. That's not so often in the past.
2: So. Do you like that? I love it watching it because what you see from your point of view, strategy. Then you can't play any strategic cards, and and you've not always had the fastest car, so it's difficult to make time up if you're not getting closed up behind the safety car as a spectator we love it because we see the relative differences between the cars playing out over a longer time as a driver do you like that do you like to get into the rhythm and stay there
9: Uh, i like when it's fair for everybody Mm. i mean if it's a yellow with justify it's fine Mm. Uh, for sure when you're a bit off sequence and off pace and looking for uh, something magic coming you're hoping for a yellow and when you're in front leading and Control the the race come easily. You don't want any yellows. Like we are in Virginia, we, mm. we don't want the last yellow. No. But uh, no, I'm I'm, I'm happy how, how the championship is going. I think uh, everybody is doing a great job. Oh, IMSA also Bo the race director is Bo Barfield. Yeah, yeah, he's doing a great job and let the race going Um, so for sure you will always have different uh, point of view and people want so don't want yellows but i have to say this year was quite a a a great year on track Uh, a lot of more respect every year between all categories and uh, all drivers also in the same categories i have to say in in gtlm was was quite harsh but uh, a lot more fair than what we have in the past Uh, less contact there is still some we need some we need to have a chance to fight and uh, to give the maximum but he should stay fair
2: like he was all the season and what we should say Patrick is no driver ever tries to push somebody off the track you go in if you trade a bit of paint sometimes then that can happen that's racing nobody's trying to put we're not talking about bumper cars here we're not talking about stock cars nobody's trying to push you that's not what you're asking for there
9: no no we ask for a fair race i mean sometimes you you know that you close the the door you are on the limit It's quicker Mm. but that's part of the game and uh, sometimes you touch a bit your bumper to push you a bit outside offline and everything so that's part of the game if we stay fair uh if we can raise the others like we want to to be raced that's fine so I have to say yeah it was a great battle on track and uh, it's mega show for the for the fans and on TV.
2: I've thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed it I've got to tell you. Next year new car for you, new Corvette we know now. We've seen it. My goodness. That looks like it's going to be competitive straight away. You know how what kind of competitors competitors they are. We expect BMW back. Ford we're not sure about it, it'll be a shame to see those guys go. They've been they've been good competitors, but we're hearing from the guys at Ford they're trying to put something together for next year. So it's gonna be just as competitive next year, Patrick?
9: Yeah, clearly, yes. I mean, we're always hoping for more competition, more people coming, uh, new manufacturers, maybe in the future. I, we hope for that. Also, Ferrari is coming back to Petit. We hope we will have... They'll
2: be quick this weekend, won't they?
9: Yeah, they're all, always quick. It's great to have them. I mean, it's great to have another manufacturer, Ferrari, Porsche, and uh, all the others are, are great battle on track. And uh, we hope also they will be there for full season. Why not mm. ne- next year? Um, yeah, will be extremely competitive. The the Corvette was a old car, let's say, yes. because it was developed a long time ago, but the car was, was amazing. Oh. They did a great job and I'm pretty sure they will be also extremely competitive. Also, they keep, let's say like us, a conventional historic yes. engine in the yes. car. Yes. Uh, I think that helps them a lot. Um, for durability and all the things, because yes, I that was a
2: bit of a shock. There, everybody was saying it was going to be a turbo, and it's not a turbo.
9: Yeah, everybody talk about turbo, also for the Porsche, yes. uh, also for the Corvette. Uh, everybody hearing some strange noise when you were testing, but mm-hmm. at the end, yeah, they stay with a Atmo engine, like like we stay. Um, I think, yeah, they know exactly where they want to be. Uh, they know the weakness of the old cars, the strong mm-hmm. points as well um i hope we'll have a, a great competition yeah. uh, i i'm sure of this because also IMSA doing great job on the on the balance of performance and if you look at this year um even not the quickest can can win the race yes. and um of course if you look on the paper you say okay porsche get an advantage but in reality we are really optimizing everything on track and uh in the pits uh really this year that was the key point for for mm. porsche and uh and yeah, they let us race and they didn't penalise if you win. They penalise no. if you have an advantage on track and on performance. Yes. That's yes. a good thing.
2: And, and the, the season ends on Saturday night... Next season starts on Monday for you. You've got the new car here to start testing. You you have literally got no time. You go to the banquet on Sunday night and then it's back to work on Monday. Yeah, I mean, we we
9: put the the young kids in the car for Monday testing. Uh, Certainly for Monday morning. You guys are not going to get up early, are you? Yeah, exactly. I think we we need some rest. We need a (laughs) bit of of break, but like you say, it's never a big break. But um, it's more about the tension. Even if you still have some tests and everything, all the tension of the season mm-hmm. of the racing is is away, mm-hmm. and you get concentrated for the new challenge. But like you say, even when you win a championship, uh, you're on the podium, you celebrate, and next day Stop. you're not the winner anymore. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you're the winner. Everything the goes back year. to zero. Exactly. So, so you've it.
2: enjoyed this year, and we're going to se- hopefully we'll see you and Nick back together. I know that's not your decision to make, but uh, we can't imagine there'll be many changes for next year.
9: I hope not. I mean, I enjoy what i 'm doing. I enjoy to drive with Nick and uh, gary as a as an engineer, also with Fred as a third driver is mm. a is a good pairing, and we have a lot of success, a lot of fun also outside of the track for sure, like always, in the couples, you have uh, up and downs, you have good moments and moments where you have some doubt or you uh-huh. you're not sure about many things, but at the end we we always push in the same direction and we want the same thing. We have the same uh, I mean, trust in each other, and we just want to win. That's that's the main goal. And when you have people pushing the same direction, it's always uh, a good a good choice. You know? I love the
2: way you guys describe this as like a racing marriage. Uh, best of luck. Good luck at the weekend. I've said it to all the other drivers, the guys the nine one two as well. Race well, race safe. Patrick, thanks very much for everything this year. I've had an absolute ball working with you guys.
9: Thank you very much. Thank you. It's
2: Patrick Peel here, and that is just about it for this week's Midweek Motorsport. Our coverage from Motul petit starts on Thursday on RS2, the home of IMSA Radio. If you go to wwwradio uk, there's the schedule on the bottom uh, of the page. It'll to convert to your time. Thanks to Shea Adam uh, and all of our guests uh, here. Uh, and particularly to curry Cobb. Kez, thanks very much. Back in London there, doing all the hard work, making sure that this has got to the world. This has been a Radio Show Limited production. Uh, my final thanks, and possibly the most important ones, uh, go to everybody here at Porsche in North America who have made this happen. Uh, Scott Bartlett, Dave Engelman, uh, and... Hayley Nunnally have been fantastic hosts for us today. And also Aaron Chetchill, who has wrangled the guys throughout the season for the work that we've been doing with their dealer uh, events. And a reminder that uh, you'll hear the two third drivers on Saturday morning. So that's Fred Mako and uh, Matthew Jaminier in our Michelin countdown to green Saturday morning uh, before the big race. But for the moment, there's no time to explain the Llama. He's off to play with a GT3.
0: This program is a radio show limited production.
2: Tell your friends
1: there's more at RadioLamont.com.